All right, guys, welcome back. Just have Senate podcast. I, I want to go on record and say that I got my first semi-negative comment on the Podbean. I, I will say this. You guys have been phenomenal in the comment section and then on social media. I've had and I've, I've expected to, uh, to have to put flame suit on every now and then. Uh, but I've never had to do that because um, you guys fucking rock. I got the best listeners ever. Um, but the first negative comment was on the the Podbean app about the last episode and the audio quality. Now, as I replied back to the to the listener uh, saying that, well, there was a disclaimer in the notes uh, of the podcast that, yes, I am aware of the audio situation because – uh, Jeffrey, um, was using, uh, Bose wireless, like Bluetooth earmuffs that you see people wear like on airplane shit, noise canceling shit. Well, the microphone of that apparently sucks ass. So in my talking with him on Skype, where we recorded the phone, the, the conversation, uh, he sounded a little quiet, but not bad. And I also can't hear myself when I talk, but, um, it, it just looked like, oh, I'll fix that on the uh, on the Audacity per software. And I got I imported it in Audacity, and I was like, God damn it. He sounds quiet as shit. I can barely fucking hear him. And uh, so I had to, for you guys to even hear as hard as it was to hear him then, I had to blow the audio up on me and him just so that you can hear him. So, yes, I'm aware that he is super quiet, and I'm aware that I was super loud. I was at normal volume, but because I had to turn the volume up, hence why I was so much louder uh, in your speakers than what it actually was recorded as. But um, neither here nor there, we've decided we've figured that out. And next time Jeff is on, he's gonna be wearing some. Uh, he's gonna have a different microphone situation, so should be no problem from there. Um, but tonight you got a, a special a special guest. We have my good buddy Keith Baker from Ice Rifles, uh, Team MDT. If you've been to a two-day match to where there was an MDT kick-ass van there full of goodies, then you were there at a match with Keith Baker. Good chance he fucking won the thing or at least got top three. So uh, if you ever had needed your ever, ever match and you need your, your rifles worked on, fixed, your rifle takes a shit because you're using a piece of shit something, then Keith's a guy that you go to because you need your shit fixed and or replaced with a loaner rifle on his dime, his ammo, and that fucker shoots. That damn rifle, whatever rifle he hands you, is a shooter. So you got him to thank. But Keith, welcome to the Just Have a podcast, brother. How are you doing, man? Doing good, dude. Good, doing good, man. We rapped for like... <laughs> Almost, I mean, about 40 minutes before we got started recording. Me, you, we can get it talking, man. It's, it's, it is, it is what it is. You know, me and you, we always have a good time. Anytime we're at a match together, uh, we, all, me and you, always have a blast. A little bit of time that we get to spend with each other, and it's, I always smile when I see the MDT van there at a match. Well, actually, you were one of my first favorite ROs. Yeah. Whenever I first started shooting the two-day matches and. And, you know, I run across you down at uh, uh, Frontline. Mm-hmm. You was ro in, and uh, I think, I don't know whether you RO'd and shot or just RO'd or that whatever match, the first year. That match, it was the NRL match. It was the first year we first had the NRL one. match. And I, 
I don't know if you remember the stage that we actually met on, but it was down at the thousand yard deck and it had that fucking bullshit ladder rung thing, right? Rope, so, yeah. Yeah, the rope ladder. Okay, so for everybody that wasn't there, don't know what we're talking about. So think you were on a deck, okay? The thousand yard deck. I love that deck. It's nice. It's got a it's got a covering, a roof, and everything. So we Paul, well. Yeah, it, yeah. And so uh, it, if you can imagine, if you've ever seen those uh, rope, uh, almost net things that you can climb up at, like maybe like a playground cargo or something net. like that. Yeah. Yeah, like a cargo net type deal. Well, it was one of those that was uh, fastened to the top of the roof and then fastened at the bottom on the deck. So it's straight up and vertical. And then there's wooden uh, dowel rungs that, I mean, go from the floor to higher than you can reach. And there's a lot of play back and forth in that in that uh, in that net. And then so. I think, Keith, I think you actually led that squad off. I think you were the first shooter on that net. I was. Yeah, and you didn't oh. do that well on it. And I, I didn't and do I well wish, at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember what you got, but I, I know it wasn't typical Keith Baker fashion, but after you shot, it dawned on me. to. I was like, man, I should have said this before Keith shot. But I was like, you know, what I've seen work is guys that have like a – a barricade block that you either push all your weight into basically that net is what's keeping you from dropping 10 feet to the ground that much weight on it, or have your barricade block on the opposite side of that and pull it into you to take that slack out and i said that and keith was like damn i wish you had said that before right. I, shot. <laughs> <laughs> I shot and i mean it was it was pretty bad it was it was pretty much a shit show and I got up there and I mean, I'm, I'm four targets over and four targets under. And, you know, typically I try and build a neutral body position and then just let the gun rest. And it was before we had tripods. I mean, at yeah. that time, nobody, I mean, you know, somebody had a tripod to put their spotting scope on, but it wasn't, I mean, a, a really right stuff tripod at that time or anything nobody remotely that. like that. I mean, uh, there, there may have been a couple in the wild, but they're, you know, they, they really weren't in the game. So using a, a tripod rear or something else to build stability from that was not even in the in the game at that time, right? So, and I'm like, okay, it's the first time I've seen a big, you know, piece of bungee cord to shoot off of. So I put the rifle up there, and I mean, I am two foot oh, over the target, two foot under the target, and then I move again, and uh, I think the only ones I hit were in the prone position where I could get a rear support from the bag at the bottom, right? Low, low prone. And as soon as I finished up, you're like, uh... You know, in the past, this has been working, and I'm like, dude, <laughs> I appreciate you now. I'd appreciate you more five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, like, that was like a real, real dick move on my part. That, for that, I still, I have not apologized to you for that yet, and I should have. I, I should have mentioned that before then, but I was. That was what 2017, uh, 2017, yeah. 2018. You won it. it no, no, you, no, you got I won second. The next Yep, I won the next one. Yeah. Craig won. Craig won that one to 300 win mag. I think it was 2017. It was my first year. I actually, I shot the whole PRS. You know, shot. It was a member of the PRS and the NRL. I think. I think it was 27, 2016, 2017. Right in there. Right. Yeah. I think so. it was 2017 then, and uh, and it was it was cool because I got to meet a lot of shooter the nrl coming this is their first ever which one of two they've ever done 
uh, uh, Southeast matches. And it was, it was a big deal that match. Um, Oh yeah. It was because it brought a lot of the West Coast guys. That's when I met Phil. The uh, first time I met Phil Vallejo, me and Phil are really tight now. Um, yep. Phil's a good buddy of mine. Um, he's come here and shot a match with me, and and we've had a, a, a really good relationship then. Um, I met you know you. I met Tyler um, and Travis, uh, Janae. I met everybody then. We had a good time drinking and and smoking and joking and. It was it was really cool and it, it kind of really got me excited for the NRL. Um, oh, me too. It was it was a cool vibe because the cool thing was is you know PRS matches in my experience at that point didn't really do. Hey man, we're gonna be here on Friday night. Well, whenever whenever we uh, uh, did that, we uh, as soon as we were there Friday night, you know Travis is like, hey, we're going to this. I forget the name of the wing wing place. Uh, we're going to all be here Friday night. Anybody wants to, you know, have dinner, this is where we're going to be. And then Saturday night, same thing. So the match was over or even tune-up day was over. And then almost all the competitors or, you know, two thirds of them go to this wing joint in West Wake Forest or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Probably Buffalo and, Wild Wings would be my guess. Yeah. I, I forget. No, nah, I don't think that was it, but it was a damn, it was a damn good place. Uh, and, but, uh, um, so, but then it was really cool because people that I never got to meet before you go to a match, you're in a squad of 10 people, right? Yeah. You that's who you spend the majority of your time with. Yeah. Right. And, and so now we got people from all over that was at this match and, and it was really cool that we all go to dinner and then it was kind of an opening thing where, Hey, come visit us. And, and, and I didn't feel uncomfortable having dinner with you or Phil or all these other people that I, I didn't really know a whole lot back then. Right. And then I had a bunch of new people that I never met before. And we all had dinner and wings and stuff two nights in a row. And it was it was a really cool family environment thing, you know, and in the PRS, there wasn't a whole lot of that that I had seen. I know out west there's a little more of that, but it's kind of a cool thing. And I'm like, man, this is this is all right. I like this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And And it's cool because, I mean say what you want either way you know travis and tyler are the nrl and they were there to and they were really the ones that were kind of pushing that type of scenario that type of thing happen whereas in the if it's a prs match it's really just the shooters that know each other are the ones putting that kind of thing on and this is what i try to tell everybody about these matches especially people just getting into it and new to it uh it is a a cool, I don't want to say brotherhood, but it is a cool group of people to be involved with. And That's and there's the level of in your life. Th- th- it really is, Keith. It, I mean, it really is. And and you've got people that, of course, in every group of anybody, there's always a, a token asshole. And if you don't see one, then you're the asshole probably. But the I mean, re- reality, but, you know, we, in fact, we were talking about one here a minute ago. We're not going to drop any names, but we were talking about a, a real asshole in the industry, um, yeah, in the sport or whatever, but, uh, they're going to have those, but they are so few and far between. It's a really cool group of core group of people to be involved with. And it's a large group of people. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, you, I look back on my life and I've met like, I don't know. 
10 people I've liked my entire life, right? I mean, realistically, like, you know, I spent a lot of time competing in multiple sports, but out of that, I mean, I have one or two from each that I've met over the years that have been those trusted friends, those people that you had opened up to and kind of, uh, I don't know, just your kind of person, right? The one that just yeah. lines up just with you. And dude, when I came into this game, uh, I go to a match and it's like, there's 150 people there and I like a hundred of them. Right. Yeah. And, and can get along with the other 49. 50. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it, it, and, and realistically that's, that, that's what, that's what brought, what's what kept me into this game. Right. I mean, I got into it because I'm an adrenaline junkie and so forth, but whenever uh, I kept meeting these people and over and over and, and I guess it comes back from, Originally, I'm guessing the PRS, you know, come from a team's background, right? Where, um, you know, most of it, most of it was all military in the beginning, and then it was, you know, a few civilians that, that was into it. But for the most part, uh, you know, it started like a USASOC competition, you know, where you got, you know, uh, mostly special forces or guys that were in it. They were working together, and the whole idea was to raise the whole thing, right? You. You you wanted to beat your buddy into the ground, but you wanted him to be at his best. So th this whole community started there where they you need that guy next to you to depend on you. So you want his training to be pretty damn good, right? Yeah. So then you guys bring each other up, and uh, so he wants to beat you, and but he wants to only beat you if you're at your best, and he wants to help yeah. you get better, which is going to make him then in turn better, and. Uh, and, and and that really stayed well with this game for a long time. I hope that as this game becomes bigger and and more people get into it, and you know, there's a lot more civilians that's gotten into it now, and 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 that background, and and there's money getting into it, and it's getting a little more petty at times. Um, I hope that it maintains that integrity. Uh, in the beginning, you just got weeded out, right? You know, early on, yeah. if you was well, a jackass. Was down, yeah, and it was down the rifle. I mean, it started at rifles only. I mean, right. it started down there with Jacob Bynum and his, I mean, those that was before the PRS existed. And, you yeah. know, Jacob had an idea of what, hey, let's be, this would be a cool competition. And then, you know, Terry Cross would show up and fuck everyone's weekend up. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, he was ruining your weekend. <laughs> Right. And uh, uh, but yeah, you're you're exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. And I will say, look, I've got uh, nobody pays my bills but me. So I, I got no problem saying that it is it is. I'm not discouraging anybody from getting into this sport at all because it has the sport itself has given me a lot and give me a lot of friends and, and a new skill. But it is far past and gone from what it initially was. There was a lot more movement, a lot more, you know, battle rifle, uh, uh, that that whole feel and vibe. Uh, that's that's what it was. I mean, a set of tire. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, or, a, a factory, a factory AI was considered almost too heavy for this sport. Oh, yeah. Now you can't add enough weight to a factory AI to compete with what is typically being shot. Right. So I started I mean, with a Manners T4A carbon fiber fluted barrel light as I could possibly make the dang thing because that's what you need. 
that's what you got to do to move. And and yeah. now it's like you're moving a grand total of maybe 12 feet for the entire stage. And what I mean, the longest, you know, every now and then you'll see a stage thrown in where they've got like a spool here. You run, you know, 15 yards over here, shoot from there. You run back. That That's cool. And we need more of that, honestly. Uh, yeah. But typically the length of like a long bed pickup truck. That's about the majority of the, your long moving stages. And that's why we can tote 23 pound rifles. You know, mine, mine's a 21 and a half, I think with a suppressor on it. And it, to me, I mean, I'm not a big guy. It feels like it's a fucking body, you know, right. Then I'm toting right. around, but yeah. damn shoots good. Fuck. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm 26, right. 25 and a half. I mean, uh, and now my shoulders bother me. Realistically, they don't bother me when I'm shooting. They bother me when I take time off. You know, when I take time off of practice, all of a sudden, them dang things start screaming at me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so we went from the super lightweight rifles, uh, and that was kind of the deal, a lot of movement. And now, I'm not going to say that I think the game has evolved great. Like, our shooting abilities now and what the competitors can do now is – 30 times what they were absolutely and, and it keeps moving forward that direction but it's it's become a game right it's not it's 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 not the same thing it's now it's a game uh and uh we're trying to push the limits which is awesome because then we just keep pushing raising that bar each time and uh i mean there's not a day i shoot a lot of rounds there's never a day in my life that i go to the range that at the end of the day, I'm not fascinated with the capabilities of a high-powered rifle. And, and and it seems like once a week, it does something I never thought it could do, right? You know, and that keep that expectation keeps happening week after week after week after week. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, you know, when the, when the targets keep getting smaller and uh, we start separating the field a little more and a little more and see what, how good some of these guys really are. Because yeah, it, you're, exactly. Because you're as you talk about separating uh, a, a roster out as far as on, on the end of day two, you know, you could throw like you said, throwing those small targets out there where you don't have this two and a half MOA plate or two MOA plate. Your big plate's a, a MOA and a half. Right. You know that. Right. That's your big plate. That's your gimme plate. You know. And, and we're at the level now where the top guys can do that. It doesn't grow the sport as far as in the club series. And I don't think we need to have that in the club series in the pro series. I'd really like to see that. That's why I enjoy the AG cup, right? You know, um, typically we're going to get into the AG cup here pretty deep. All right. So all right. yeah, we'll get into but that. I, I like that ability to, to see where the limit is, you know, when, when, you know, John pinch or Dave Preston or, you know, Austin or, you know, whoever has that stellar day, Give them the opportunity to show how much of a stud they are that day, right? Where is that top bar, right? Oh, he didn't make any mistakes this day. No, let's see how much better he was that day, right? I, 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 that's what I strive for as a competitor. I'm sure that's not the best thing for the entire sport. It is for me and, you know, 40 other guys, but, you know, that, that all just kind of want to see where they, what they got to work on, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. where, where, where do we rate? Yeah, what, so it, what it seems cheese? like, right, and so what it seems like how it went was, you know, <clears throat> back in the 2000, uh, the 2008 to 2012 to 2010, stuff like that, you know, those guys, what were they all shooting? 13-pound 308s. 
you yeah. know, that's what they were all, or, or maybe some 223s, but, you know, 308s, then maybe, ooh, I got a hot new 260, right? Mm-hmm. And so what it became to is that the cartridge selection in the rifles being built moved moved in a direction to where it it added i'm gonna see if i say this right it added ability to an already good shooter um i mean you know you know what i'm saying like oh yeah you, you yourself you shoot a lot of uh 223 and a lot of 308 but keith on his best day with a 308 versus keith on his best day with his dasher there's no there's no comparison of oh, what keith night does day. right so i can make then, 40 mistakes and get away with them Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> what it is, you get a caliber and a rifle built, and then one thing just pushes and leads the other to where now bullet manufacturers are like, hey, look, we see a lot of people moving these six millimeters just out of the six fives from the 260 and the, the Creedmoor and the out, way out of the 308. Let's see how high of a BC bullet we can make in this 240 in this 243 cartridge um, and then go from there. So then it then allows the shooter to be able to do things that he couldn't do before, but he still grows and progresses as a shooter because now he kind of like got the handcuffs off of him. And it, it's like one thing is leading and pushing another between the skill of the shooter versus the, I guess you'd say the ability or accuracy of the rifle. So one thing pushes the other where if you take a guy that, you know, uh, that's maybe been shooting PRS for uh, two years and ship him with his rifle and ammo back in time to 2010 or 11 when the guy like the fastest Gucci caliber was a 260, but they've been running that 260 a long time. That new guy is still going to give that guy a hard time because of the differences of what these things can do and the abilities that they have done in such a fast time compared oh, yeah. to years and years behind a rifle. Right, right. Well, and you take, so you take how fast technology is moving forward. And, and now we have the internet. The PRS is plug and play now, right? You get it, you, you go on Facebook, there's a thousand people to tell you what you're doing wrong and what you need to do right. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and, and some of them know what they're doing, right? But yeah. if you want to, if you want to shoot this game, you could pretty much go by, hey, here's the list I need, check all these boxes. Okay, I need to go buy a game changer or a fortune cookie or whatever your your particular bag is. You need to buy that. Okay, I need a, a, a big old puffy bag, maybe, right? I need a backpack, I need a tripod and a pair of binoculars. Check, check, check. All right, now all I gotta do is go watch two or three YouTube videos, listen to some podcasts and practice, and I'm ready to go shoot a match, right? Uh, you know, and, and okay, well, do I need to do low development? No, because we'll shoot a BR variant and everybody on the website says they shoot this. Of course, they blow a few guns up trying to do that because they don't know a few other things. But uh, it, it, anyway, uh, yeah, okay, BR, we'll load 30 grains of Varga down there, throw it 20,000 soft to land. So, okay, man, I'm the best freaking, you know, load developer in the world, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and and now they got stuff that is capable of doing what you'd never imagine it to do. Yeah. Well, hell, look before. at factory ammo, dude. Look at, factory, oh. <laughs> look at what factory ammo has done, dude. Look, I mean, I'm shooting... I just for example, and I've mentioned this podcast before. One of the factory ammos that I have been most uh, it's so blown away by is the 6.5 Creedmoor 140 Burger Hybrid ammo from Burger. I'm getting an SD of six, and it prints quarter MOA groups. What I can't load better than that. 
I mean, maybe right. drop it to a four SD, but that doesn't make a hill of beans a difference at, at 1200 yards. It doesn't matter. Right. And, uh, but groups that big, I mean, well, fuck, I'm done. If I wanted to choose six, five Creedmoor, I'm fucking done. Why load? Well, so that's the beauty of the Creedmoor <laughs> cases, right? You know, number one, it's a new enough cartridge. We haven't molested the shit out of it. Right. You know, you <laughs> go to 308, there's a thousand different chambers out there. Right. 6.5 Creedmoor is new enough that pretty much there's one chamber with X freebore and, and now we've gone through and made more, but every rifle, unless you're a, 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 a the majority of the Sammy spec chambers are all the same. And the Sammy spec reamer was designed in such a way that it's beneficial, right? You got that major diameter of the bullet up in the neck. It's not down below. So it's a highly efficient cartridge, you know, down below that neck shoulder junction. Um, you know, it's uh, the free bore in it is is right to load. It, it can do it for mag length and still have room. So, you know, it, it, it's just a really well-designed cartridge. And because we don't have 170,000 free bore, 190 and 240 and seven different free bores out there, the factory manufacturers can go out there and take that just like you can take a 26-inch barrel BR with a X number of free bore. And this is loads probably going to be pretty daggone close, right? Well, very, they're able to close. do that with the six creed and six five creed because because a it's a highly efficient case it was throated properly and there's not a whole bunch of screwed up reamer designs out there that you know we all thought was a better choice or you just you know tried it or, or whatever so uh that's it's a really cool deal i mean i build a lot of six creeds and six five creeds and most of the time i tell somebody to start six five creed route because of the the barrel life right i mean you know, get an action that can go anywhere down the road, right? You know, something that'll work well with a short BR variant or anything you want down the road. And then, uh, you know, if you're starting in this game and you don't reload, my first thing is start 6.5 Creedmoor, right? Uh, 6 Creedmoor is a little more gamey, but do a thousand rounds on a, you know, break in a barrel and get a thousand rounds out of a barrel before you start wondering whether you're going to have problems because you're going to lay down and shoot 20 shots. You're not going to shoot five shots and stop, you know, you're going to do yeah. stupid shit like I Burn did and everybody up. else did. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, a thousand, 1500 rounds, whatever you get out of that barrel. Um, that's not a lot of shooting, right? So start and with a that. new shooter needs to do a lot of shooting. They need to do a ton of shooting, right? Yes. So start with a six, five Creed more by factory ammo. It's going to, you can win a match with a six, five Creed more factory ammo, uh, especially the stuff you're talking about, you know, gosh, that's, uh, th those one forties are, are, are pretty freaking legit. Yeah, uh, it's, the, it's the most legit six, five bullet out of a short action cartridge. That's non Magnum. I mean, that one forty hybrid is, I love the one thirties as well. I've killed a shit ton of deer with a one thirty hybrid and they fly straight and they are hell on critters. I know that the first two years I shot six, five, I shot six, five with one thirties. And uh, I started with that Swedmore cartridge or whatever that six five fifty five speed. Addiction. Well, it was it was it was a version of it, right? Uh, six five fifty five Swede with a thirty degree shoulder blown out a little bit, and uh, dude, those one thirties they you hammer. could cook them. Yeah, you could yeah. cook with that with a one thirty. Right, and and we used to think you you know going really fast with with a bullet you know cuts the wind down so much that you're just showing everybody how to shoot. Well. Nowadays, you look at that and you look at a little BR doing 2750 and a wind call is exactly the same, right? You know, I mean, under it's a 10 BC, or 15 mile yeah. an hour wind, you just, uh, you know, BC and flight time is what it comes down to. And there's not a whole lot of difference in flight time. 
at 600 yards between a bullet doing 3150 and a bullet doing 2750. And you've got way less recoil, you know. Right, right, right. And you can actually see what's going on, right? And you can not have it pinched into your shoulder as much as you should. You can be in that awkward position and the bullet still goes where you have the rifle aimed initially, right? You know, you're not losing under recoil uh, accuracy. Accuracy of the rifle, yeah. you're not managing recoil correctly and it slipped out into your shoulder pocket or something along that line. Right. So, yeah. Well, let's get into, Keith, uh, let's get into uh, when you... When you first got started, uh, meaning like, hey, what's this game? What's this that I'm seeing? And I and I want I want to get into that that that, that what is this PRS? Um, and and then you know, what 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 brought you into the sport? So, I, I mean, I've competed my whole life, right? I mean, I started early, like real early, five six years old, doing national archery stuff, right? My dad had me you know, doing that from an early age. Right. Um, and then it went to pool billiards, you know, it went to race cars, you know, when I was 12 years old, we drove race cars. I, I was driving race cars at 12 all the way to gosh, in, in my early twenties. Right. Uh, built race cars, built race engines. My dad had a chassis shop. I mean, race, 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 race. Then race became my job, you know, got it, got a degree, started working at summit race and building race cars and had been racing them and building engines for years and designing cylinder heads and that kind of stuff. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, it, it was cool, but it, my job became my, my hobby became my job. Well, that wasn't very cool. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, gosh, you, uh, it was, it would have been cool early on and maybe later in life it would have worked out, but early in my life, you know, I'd work, 60 hours a week and then I'd work on the race car the rest of the time and want to go racing. And the last thing you want to do is leave work, working on race cars or designing stuff and go home and do the same thing for the other 12 hours. Right. So, um, I got into bass fishing at that time and, and I traveled the country and it was a beautiful thing for me. I mean, I did 20 some years of hardcore bass fishing all around the, all around the country and, you know, was fortunate to do really well in it. And, uh, then one day I cut my thumb off. I was at work uh, and uh, I fell off a ladder. Uh, after I got done with the uh, uh, summit racing and, and, and doing that stuff, I uh, took my engineering degree and started uh, a heating and air conditioning company. So I did heating and air last 20 some years. And the reason I did that is so I could fish, right? I'm a competitor, right? I wanted to go fishing on, on, you know, Saturday, Sunday and, and go travel. And if I wanted to go to Rayburn in Texas, I'd get my ass in the truck and, and go. And, and I got tired of asking the boss man, Hey, uh, or deer season, right. You know, Hey, yeah. I'm not going to be there the first week in November. Make <laughs> no misunderstanding. I will not be my vacation. I will never miss a day of work, but the first week in November, I will not be anywhere at work. I will be gone. If I have a job when I get back, that's great. You know, and I never missed work. Right. But this is my week off. And man, Hell, I know like- Bama's taking the whole month of November off. They work, they, they say their vacation where they, they literally, they take four weeks straight in November and they hunt every fucking day in November. So a week until- ain't bad. That's not a lot of, uh, that's not a lot to ask for shit. 
No, but it seemed like it was always a game. Well, we'll let you know at the end. I'm like, I don't care whether you let me know at the end. <laughs> I'm letting you know now. <laughs> <laughs> Make no misunderstanding. I'll be here Halloween. I'll be here, you know, but but come the first, I'm not going to be here, right? And I will be back, you know, on about the ninth, right? So, uh, or however that played out, you know, I'd look at the moon, try and fi- figure it out. But every year, this is my schedule. Well, we got more than one person off. Well, you got two now, right? So. Yeah. You know, uh, so it always seemed like it turned out to be a game. And, man, that was stressful on me. So um, I decided I kind of wanted to go a different route. You know, I'd gone as high as I could go in that company. They started hiring everybody from the outside uh, to run upper management. I couldn't go any farther. I come up the ladder nice and quick. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I'm used to moving up and I don't feel like I'm moving. Right. So. Then I decided, well, I'm going to go a different route and did the HVAC world, which really it was a stepping stone because I, I just wanted to go run the machine shop at like Akron U or Kent State. You know, I just basically needed that time in the HVAC field to show my experience in that field so I could go run a boiler room or something for a university or their machine shop or their engineering department, you know, so I could have access to equipment to do fun things, right? Sure. And uh, get my kids through school free. I mean, I was thinking way ahead then, you know, and because uh, I didn't have a lot of money and I couldn't really afford to, to do a lot of that stuff. So I'm thinking, well, this will work out pretty good. Well, uh, I went to start the heating route and then all of a sudden, man, I just I dug it. Right. Work Once you work for yourself and there's nobody you know, better to work for than yourself. Dude, nobody tells me, you know, if somebody if. If I feel like I need to help somebody out, a little old lady on a job, well, good. I help her out, right? You know, and it's, it's, I don't have to ask, you know, what anybody thinks about it. If I just, I treat people the way I feel they should be treated and, and don't, uh, uh, don't have anybody to tell me the, the other side to that. And when I want to go deer hunting, I ask, go climb a tree, right? Um, and so once I started that and got that freedom, man, I fell in love with it worked way too hard. I mean, I made, you know, work twice as hard for probably half the money over the next 20 years, but, uh, uh, at least that I could have made, but I was able to go fishing bass tournaments anytime I needed to go Wednesday nights. I needed to go shoot the local deal. Well, I'd work till four o'clock and my ass would be in a boat at five. Right. Um, you know, and I did that for forever and I made pretty good money at it. Uh, because I could just do it on the side and, and fish the, you know, try and isolate the five or six good lakes that I got really good on and I could go make decent money. Well, at work one day, I was climbing up a ladder. I was in a hurry because, well, probably because I was going to go fishing that night if I got done, right. Trying to get a furnace put in and I cut this duck work out and I'm stepped up about three steps on the ladder and, uh, my helper, uh set this pipe behind me underneath the ladder i go to step down and i step on the pipe and i go to reach back to catch myself and i fell in a box of sheet metal that i just cut out of that plenum and i cut my thumb off right like was it put it back on detached uh cut it all the way down to the bone and around the joint right i cut it all the way around there well in that in that hand is what they call the million dollar nerve right that's what separates us from the apes we have the ability to do this right thumbs. And, and and that 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 particular nerve is the one that did that so i went and started fishing left-handed and you know uh i fished more but 
I couldn't compete at that really, really top level. And I was able to, to compete in fishing at, at the highest level, right? And I could go do well, but I couldn't just go kick everybody's ass or anything like that. I mean, I, uh, I lost a lot of my cadences. I lost a lot of feeling in my hand. And, and so I was pretty bummed out that I didn't feel I had something that I could compete in because I mean, it was a passion and it was a love. I mean, I, if it was tournament week, I'd put, you know, I'd be dark to dark if it was a national level tournament or something like that. I'd be on the lake dark to dark five days in a row, you know, and, and not eat, not drink. I mean, just, Whatever it is, you know, hell, I'd, I'd, I'd hang my wiener over the front of the boat while I was fishing, taking a piss in between casts and try and figure out how to hold it while I cast it again so I can get it on my feet, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I was pretty hard. Maybe catch a fish that way, right? Right. <laughs> so I was, uh, I fell and then I cut my hand again like a couple months later, which made it even worse. Oh, and so... I got use of my hand, but it didn't. I lost the use of that thumb the way I, I used to. So same hand. Anyway, same hand. Yeah, same thumb. And I'd been hunting my whole life, right? I mean, I, 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 I shot my first deer with a bow when I was ten, right? And I had to go to Pennsylvania to do it because I wasn't allowed to hunt in Ohio until I was twelve, right? And then, uh, and then I shot my first one in Ohio when I was twelve, right? You know, I mean, I, I've killed, I've killed more deer with a bow than most people, you know, a lot of people added up, right? Just right. all I ever did was bow hunt. And then, uh, so now I don't have this ability to compete anymore. And I'm a junkie, dude. I'm, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I, I have an issue. Fortunately, I married the right woman and she's good with it. But if I don't fulfill that need, I mean, it, it's a sickness, right? We all got, we all got our addictions and mine is competition. Well, you um, just said it, you're, you're a com you're not a junkie. You are a competitor's competitor. You've that competitive drive. It isn't just something that you feel and that manifests while you're at competition. It's it sticks with you when you're not at competition and definitely rears its head when you're not able to compete. Oh so my God. it, I mean, I, I hear exactly what you're saying and that's, I mean, I don't have that bone, but uh, I know people that do and, and you're all the same. You've like, if you're not competing, it's if me and you playing pool, right? You play, you're really into that. You whip my ass playing pool. You probably wouldn't be happy. Like, hey, let's put a penny on it. Like each game, penny. You know what I'm saying? Just like, let's bet a beer on it. You know what I'm saying? Right. You would, that's how you would feed off of where I just like, hey, you hear this funny dick joke and you, you just like, you're ready there. You're ready to kick my ass. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, we're just, just people, all molds. And, and you just got that bone. Well, yeah, my dad, my dad helped, you know, push that on me early. And my brother's got the same competition junkie thing, too. He was driving race cars when he was 12. You know, I was in pool halls when I was at 12, staying the night there. My dad would pick me up and take me to the school the next day, all Jeez. the way in through college. You Do know, that in I, I slept on <laughs> the bed. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, child abuse now, but, uh, you know, but I would stay at Starcher's Pool Hall, which was a pretty well-known gambler pool hall, uh, you know, uh, and I would be there from, he'd drop me off after school and he'd give me a hundred dollars. And the next morning I'd sleep on the couch there. And, uh, you know, the, and my dad was a gambler, right? Professional gambler. My grandpa was too, back in the days, early on days. Um, uh, and, uh, they picked me up the next morning and anything, if I, Anything I made over the hundred dollars, I got to keep. If I lost any money, it's fine, right? 
And, you know, so if somebody wanted to bet $100, my job would say, okay, make it two, right? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And it was, it, it was, uh, it, it was kind of a thing. So I, I spent a lot of time in a pool hall and then, you know, I was, it was a junkie there. I mean, I was a professional practicer. I learned how to practice there. I had some of the, some of the best billiard competitors in the world that kind of worked out of that little area. I mean, that's known one of the hustler stops around the world, right? Sure. You watch the movie, the hustler, right? And that's, you know, that's one of the places, right? Oh, wow. Uh, the Akron open it's, you know, starters, right? So anyway, so, uh, that, that became early in my mindset and then through fishing. Well, then whenever I lost, uh, I had to take all the nerves out of one of my wrists because I just destroyed it from making so many millions and millions and millions of casts. And the doctor says to me, he's like, man, he said, I never thought I'd have to do this on a man. I've only done it on two Olympic women gymnasts. He says, and I never thought I'd do that. I'm like, well, dude, that's from years of constant masturbation. That ain't from fishing, but that's you why know. his arm is so strong. Right. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, whenever I remember thinking of whenever that wrist, I didn't know what was the matter with it. I thought, dude, I don't want to live if I can't fish. And I mean, how do you say that? Right. You know, you think all the great things, and, but I'm thinking, it, yeah. what, what, what would I do if I couldn't compete? I have no idea what I could do. And it's a sickness. It's not a healthy thing to have. Thank God my wife understands it. Right. Um, and, and she knew it, you know, 30 years together. So yeah, you got your um, going. Yeah. But anyway, how, how do you, how do you, how do you, 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 uh, um, do that. Well, then, then once I couldn't fish anymore and I couldn't be competitive, I could go fishing. I'd be damned if I ever wanted to go fishing for fun. I never fished for fun. I was the last person you ever wanted to fish with. We catch a fish, whoop, time to leave. There's fish here. We don't want to be here no more. Let's go look for them somewhere else. Right. I mean, you, you didn't have a good time fishing with me. Um, so now I'm trying to find something to do and I'm watching Netflix or YouTube or I think it was Netflix. And this was early in the Netflix game. And I seen this USASOC competition that was on there. And of course, everybody had 338 AI. It, it might have even been filmed at rifles only. I don't really know. Because uh, I've looked for that old that episode, and it was just on there for a slight window, right? And they had the Dutch, and they had the whatever, you know, all around the country. And they it was a History Channel thing on this, on this competition. I think I've seen uh, it. Some version of that, yeah. And everybody was using the hot chassis was the, or the hot thing was the, uh, th the AI 338 Lapua, right? That was the, that was what everybody needed. And, you know, there was a couple wind mags. So, man, I got on the internet and you know, I'm the, not tech tech guy, but I'm trying to find this. Can't find a thing about these sniper competitions, right? The only one I found is there was a little write up about, uh, mammoth at the time. It was just a little blurb and you, you couldn't really learn anything and it wasn't a way to, 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 to do it. And man, I spent probably six months to a year trying to find that. Well, I was a long range hunter. Like I, you know, I'd go kill wild boar on my property at four or 500 yards away. And I mean, I, I, um, been a hunter and once I got into the long range hunting game and I shot competition from the time I was a kid. Right. I mean, I shot small boar. I shot bullseye pistol. I shot, you know, I, I shot every firearm game there ever was coming up through, but I seen this now, this looks like fun. Uh, and, and you know, probably been good if I never found out what it was <laughs> six months later, I go to the range and here's this guy with this barrel that looks like a, it's all spiral fluted. 
and uh, it looked like a barber pole coming out the end of the guy's rifle, right? And it's in a it's in a Manners T4A because that was the hot deal, all carbon fiber at the time, spiral fluted, just like you said. And uh, you know, being a rope dick at the range, I'm like, hey man, you know, what are you shooting? He says six five song, and I'm like, yeah, I'm shooting a 308. You know, never heard of that, right? And uh, so I shoot a little bit. I'm like, well, what do you do? He's like, well, I, I shoot tactical competitions. I mean, I'm like, I don't look like a three gun setup. He's like, no, it's it's more like a sniper competition, but not really. What like, year was this? Around about probably 2013 would be my okay. guess. 2013, 2014, 2013. PR, PRS 12, was a year 13. or two old. Yeah, yeah, a year 2013. old. 2013. <clears throat> and uh, uh, I'm like, really? So I said, you're the guy I'm looking for. And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, so. And he tells me about what he's doing. I'm like, yeah, I seen that on TV, and I need to find a place to do that. I need to build a gun, find a place to do that. And I got this really cool Rock River 308 over here, you know, and, you know, and I had the, uh, I did a lot of research, man. It's got a mil dot scope in there. It was a one to nine uh, Sightron because that was the best I could get for a hundred bucks, right? MOA adjustment. MOA turret. I was on there, baby. I got to hold over and kill them yes. out there. MOA turret, mil reticle. <laughs> and, uh. And I said, well, will this get me there? You know, he's like, well, yeah, it's probably not what you want to use, but you know, yeah, it will. And, and so he, and, uh, ended up being Dave O. Um, I don't know if you know Dave O. Dave O was one of the early civilian guys that started shooting all the time. So he and Dave Preston probably started shooting about the same time. Dave O, they probably started 2010, 2011, right? Uh, they shot together as competitors often, you know, they shot a lot of the same matches together. And Dave was, Dave O was a little bit older. Um, uh, and he come from a USPSA background and, uh, they shot mammoth together. They, they shot together. They were kind of like travel buddies. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know who Dave Preston was or anybody at that time. Right. And at that time he was, you know, crushing it. Right. Uh, and he and Dave O, um, uh, would travel around the matches and, and they were, they were studs. Um, and, uh, uh, anyway, so he's directing me to all these other, he gave me a list of local places. I could go shoot long range steel matches and this and that. And I said, well, you're going to be my new best friend. <laughs> Whether <laughs> you like uh, it or not. <laughs> right. <what? laughs> and, uh, so he directed me actually to the precision rifle blog at that point. Right which was early on in its deal. Uh, and he told me, you know, what to build. And, and at that time, the, the Schmidt was the pretty much the best scope out there. There was really no vortex. Well, to, it was for the longest time. It really was. I mean, they got that military money and, you know, that's what was on our rifles, a lot of them at least, and, and yeah. the rifles across the world. So they, they were the best at the time. Yeah, and there and there really wasn't scopes to track other than that optic back then that that was readily available to anybody. Uh, I mean, they're just that, that it wasn't around. It wasn't uh, a big market for it yet. I mean, right. The market right. is what drives innovation. Period. Right. So. so I'm like, okay, well, I want to build a rifle. Well, okay. 
So he kind of tells me what I need to buy. And, and the hot gun at that time was a, uh, the hottest setup was a 260, 30 degree improved. That was the shit, right? That was the, the Creedmoor really hadn't gotten any traction yet. Uh, it, uh, it, it may have been around or viable about that time, but it really it was, wasn't. I think 2011, you know, I think it was created. And yeah. It, it didn't get, it didn't catch on yet. Yeah, when you went to the Precision Rifle Series blog, right, it was, you know, 260 and 260 Ackley. A couple guys ran 243, but not really. Uh, you know, 7 Psalm, 7 uh, Wisdom, you know, the 7 millimeters was king, and they had just moved into the 6.5s at that point, right? They went from 7 millimeters, and they were just moving to the 6.5s. And uh, so I'm going to build this gun, and, you know, I, I got a gunsmithing buddy just like everybody else, and he's going to build me a gun. But a year after I tried to get him to build the gun, he never did. Finally, Davo gave me a shopping list. He's like, go, this is what you want, this is what you want, this is what you want, this is what you want. And uh, helped guide me through my first build. And I'm like, well, okay, I want to spend about $2,000. And so I do. And then he's like, well, no, no, your optic is another $2,000. I'm like, oh, no, no. What can I get for 50 bucks? What can I get for 500, right? You know, I, I can go 2,500, right? Just like everybody else. Uh, and he's like, dude, glass is where it's at. And uh, you want a $500 so, rifle and a $1,500 scope of 2000 is your limit. So 100%. Yep. Uh, you remember that if any of you new listeners listening now, if, I mean, new shooters listening now, if, if the way you got to look at that whole scenario is, if you built the the most badass accurate rifle ever, but you skimped on the scope, you will never shoot that rifle's potential. You'll never you will never get your twenty five hundred dollars if that's what you spend your rifle. You'll never get twenty five hundred dollars out of your rifle if you've got a, a four hundred dollar scope. Whereas if you've got a say two thousand dollar scope and a five hundred or seven hundred dollar rifle. You will get every penny of that $700 uh, worth of performance out of that rifle with that scope. So, you know, you can always move scopes. Give me an $800 rifle and a $1,500 optic every day of the week, right? Uh, and, and 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 if I could have a, a $500 rifle and an and a $1,800 optic, I'd probably go that route. I mean, yep. um, you know, the, the, the optic is just magic well he's telling me that and i'm like dude i can't afford that man i got you know wife and kids and you know uh and uh anyway so i ended up figuring out how to spend about a thousand dollars at the time and i bought vortex and vortex had started coming out with their gen 1 pst at that point you know i mean the hot setup at that time was the uh, Bushnell was the, really the only one that had a scope that tracked well, and that was that Bushnell XRX or S, whatever. XRS, the first XRS, one. XRS, yeah, that that was the scope that could track, right? That was, you know, that you could afford under $3,500 that, that, that this game needed. They were the first ones to really do that, that, that I knew of, and it became um, – that tracked every time. Like if you tested every one, they all did what they were supposed to, right? Bushnell's um, always had that that reputation. They they've always tracked well. Yep. 
and, and I couldn't afford one because they were $2,000, right? And then the Razor wasn't out. Uh, the Gen 1 might have been, uh, but it, it, it at that time didn't have a great reputation either, right? You know, that Bushnell was was it. And and I think that Razor was incredibly expensive, the Gen 1. It was. Also. It, it was. Uh, and, and, and so it wasn't even something you would choose from the people that knew. And Dave got me into the community right in with all the guys that, that knew because he was top tier guy. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I go by my PST and uh, I go shoot my first match. And actually, I go to try and shoot the gun, you know, just to shoot it at a thousand yards because all I'd shot it is the 600 yards at where I had locally. And so I go to Thunder Valley, which is this, you know, big range we have in, in Ohio that goes out to a mile. And I'm like, well, I'm going to take my big gun. I call ahead. I get under and they got a big long range match. And I'm like, well, I just drove two hours to get here, man. And they're like, well, you can shoot the match if you want. And I'm like, I've never shot one of these before. You know, I've never shot out to, you know, a thousand yards. And uh, this one poor soul felt pity on me and says i'll partner up with you because it was a team match and that day we went out it was like 16 it, the match went to 1650 that day right i mean it was all it's called the intimidator it's all long range the shortest shot 600 yards and everything's 12 inch plates they don't have so, those anymore anywhere like you know uh, they don't they need to well not on a great scale and maybe maybe property is the the Maybe like real estate is the deciding factor in that, but I wish there was more of those matches. Well, there are, but I tell you, when you go to shoot one now, it just takes forever. So like, you know, he's got a cool course, the headhunter course where you got 21 targets that, you know, you shoot, you get one shot at, right. And you yeah. know, the whole idea is to clean the course and they, they go from like four to 800 yards. And um, the deal is, to go shoot that now, you start at 10, 10, 11, 10 o'clock in the morning, I think is when they start at 9, 30, 10 o'clock. You might be there to six or seven at night to fire 21 rounds, right? Yeah. After you've been shooting PRS matches and you're, and, and, and you know, and you got a hundred rounds under your belt by one o'clock, you know, uh, it kind of, it, it's slower fun, pace, but it, yeah. it's pretty slow pace. Right. Um, and, and, and that's, that's how that other, that other match was. So I go shoot that match and, uh bought the mill scope that actually had mill turrets of course they were only five per revolution back then no, uh you know no. but uh shot it and somehow or another ended up winning a daggone thing uh and i didn't know what the hell i was doing but i had a good partner that just he knew what he was doing right he uh he would help put me you know help give me wind calls help tell me what to do and uh man he was he was a good guy to help me out well, there was so, a good chance that there was someone else in your very same shoes that were also there that day. They had never shot out past a certain whatever distance X was, and they were about to shoot for the first time at a greater distance in that match. So, there, I mean, there's a good – because we see that today at a PRS match. You know, There was we, we probably see, two or three people. But here's the deal. Where do you find someone who's like, hey, I know I'm here to compete. I'll take the new guy who's never shot before in his entire life like this. Yeah, that, right? that's hard to come by. And yeah. and yeah, come on, man. I'll show you what to do. Here's how you get your, you know, while I had like, I don't know, I forget what app I had, maybe Shraylock back then, uh, or J, JB, I don't know, whatever it was. I mean, I had the cell phone told me what to do, right? right. <laughs> you yeah. know, <laughs> so, uh, and, and he showed me, you know, I, I kind of had most of it figured out, but 
he helped me figure it all out from there and spent the entire match shooting with me. And then I end up shooting well only because of him. I mean, you know, gosh, I, yeah. I, I would have been completely lost. I mean, the idea of holding off a target was, you know, you know, you hold the front of the deer, you hold the back of the deer, you hold the middle of the deer. You know, I mean, that, yeah. that's yeah, you never off, <laughs> you never off the deer. You know, groundhog, you might hold, you know, a groundhog in front or behind, but that's about it, right? Only after you miss the first one. Right. Um, yeah, you don't hold off of them the first. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't give up the hog. Right. So anyway, I mean, but that gave me the glimpse into this community. I'm like, wow. I mean, there was there was seven guys there that helped me that day. And I walked, I drove my truck in off the street, had no fucking clue what I was doing, was expecting open range, and they got a match. And because something screwed up on the website or whatever, and dude, here I am. And, uh, you know, David got me squared away gear-wise and, you know, and helped me get my data put into my phone early on. So I kind of had an idea of a little bit of it, but dude, the people were just awesome. And... The more I got around the people, the more I needed to be around the people. I mean, yeah. uh, it, 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 like I say, you know, I, I've met 10 people I like in my whole life and I've met hundreds in this community and, and it was all from that. And so now I try and remember that when I'm in a match and I see that new guy walk up, you know, I try and, uh, if, if it's a two day match, I'm pretty focused on what I'm doing. And I say, Hey, when you're done, come by the MDT van, we got cold drinks and we got chairs, come by and visit, you know, and, and, and we'll hang out if you need anything. And so, uh, you know, often we'll have cold water or Gatorade sometimes, um, you know, occasionally there's beer stuck in there, uh, <laughs> you know, or something along that line. Uh, I, normally, I normally sniff that out. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and it gives me an opportunity and, and it kind of goes back to the NRL match you talked about. It goes back to. I remember what it was like to meet all these people that I didn't get to meet before. And it seems like in these matches, we kind of get in this small little niche of people and you don't get out of it. Right. I mean, yeah. you do the next match and you get that niche and then there's six or seven others that get added to that niche, but it, it stays kind of small grouped in the beginning. Right. And, and, and there's just kind of like different levels of, of people hanging out. And uh, after that, that's kind of was my vision with the MDT van uh, fortunately, you know, they, they helped me help competitors, right? Uh, you know, they put triggers on that truck and I can put in somebody's rifle. They, you know, uh, help get me really whatever I need to, to help because that's what they want to do. They, they just, they don't care whether you're shooting another chassis or another action or another barrel or whatever. They just, they kind of want to do things right and, and, and help out. And, and I did too. And I remember back like I say, back to that first match and uh, how how nice it was to have somebody help me. And then Matt Steiner kind of does did that at his matches, you know, his local club matches. You know, it was always the new guys on club day. I mean, we spent more time with them than we actually did shooting, just kind of helping them get going. And uh, you guys watch out out there that aren't from the Northeast, because in just a few years, man, we got a farm system that's 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 helping produce great shooters. And, uh, yeah, you do. Uh, and Allison yeah. being, a has anybody met Allison Zane? Right. We talk you know. about her all the time on this podcast. I'm uh, going to get her on. I want to get her and her dad on this podcast. They're a great um, family. Yeah. yeah I, that's what I've, I mean, I've met them and, um, yeah, I've been in a couple of matches with them, never shot with her, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, I was really pulling, 
for her to, to win the, the, the PRS finale. Me and Jeff talked about it before the match. We were like, we of anybody, I want her to go and fuck shit up. <laughs> and, and, and and break hearts. I want to oh, see yeah. grown men fucking cry because a 15-year-old little girl goes in, and puts a fucking biblical spanking on their ass. And it's dedication. Yeah. The girl works her butt off. Um, I mean... You know, she practices all the time. You know, everybody out there is, oh, well, okay, well, if you put 25 minutes a day in of dry firing every day, seven days a week, and, you know, you you put thought and effort behind being a better fire. competitor yeah. to dry well, fire to... Well, the thought in the dry fire, you know, it's not just, okay, my, my and I fall victim to this because as you see here, in my reloading room, there's my barricade and rifle sitting on it, and there is my dry firing training system. I, my rifle sits there, and I will I fall victim of just coming here. All right, let me get some dry fire in. The rifle's up there. Just get behind it. And, pull, and I have to stop myself say, no, that's not doing me anything. I need to literally break position, build position, shoot, get break, build. You know, And right. your thought process behind, it's not just rounds down range. It's not just dry fire trigger pulls. It is literally emulating what you're going to do at a match. Yes. And, so, and the, the thoughts got to be there. Well, and I want one of those systems. I've wanted one and I don't know why in the hell I haven't got one. Um, awesome. Yeah. I consider myself a professional practicer. Right. And that's really what I do. Like in fishing, that's all I did was I didn't go out and catch fish. I went out and made sure I wouldn't catch fish, but I wanted to know where they were at. Right. Yeah. Same thing in shooting. You know, whenever I go shoot, I make a list at every stage at the end of the day. I go through my matchbook. Okay. Uh, this was my win call for that stage. This is what I thought my win call was. This is what it ended up being. Right. So I went in with my initial wins and let's say it was, a, I thought it was a seven o'clock, eight to nine or eight to 10 mile an hour at seven o'clock at the end of it after action. Okay. No, it was actually an eight o'clock at 10. Right. And that's what all my dope worked out to be until I got to 800 yards and then I went to a 12 mile an hour wind. Right. And I, and I, I go back after every stage and I write that down. How did the stage go? What did I do? Right. What did I do wrong? Right. I don't focus on the wrong, but I do. I, I make, I make note of it. So I know later as to what to do. What I don't work well on it, but I'm like, okay, well, that stage, that rope, dude, the minute I come off that rope that you were talking about at Paul's place on that, I went to everybody else. I'm like, don't do what I did. Do what he said to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> do something different, right? Well, I'm sure if I look in my drawer over there, I have the matchbook for that match. And I will find my notes on that day that said, hey, when you run into, you know, floppy ass thing, now it would be different because we use tripods and I would find a different way to do things. But it would be uh, lean into it, you know, Build a forward position, lean into it, try and maintain neutrality, but you need to load the, the ropes on both sides. And I know next year, the next match I shot, which I think was the one I won, the summer match, uh, was my first, I think it was my first national. Um, maybe not. Anyway, I had on that. When that when we go, when we get to that rope, lean into that son of a bitch. I had it wrote down on my list of notes for how I was going to shoot that match and what to expect. And uh he didn't have the damn thing there. He had some stair there. step thing going up there. And yep. uh, 
And I think I shit showed that one too. But (laughs) 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 that's probably the only one Uh, that day. Actually, I think it was. Uh, You know, that that I shot really well that day. But, uh, you know, I, I, I went through my after, I go through my after action report and I write all that stuff down. And, and you got to know how to practice going out and pulling a trigger has, I mean, okay. The repetition and have pulling a trigger gives you some benefit, but if you are not consciously making a prediction, expecting an outcome, and then trying and focusing on that, every time you pull a trigger, did you get your predicted outcome? Was that the wind call? No. Why not? Okay. If you're not calculating that stuff, you're not getting better, right? No, you no, know, you're not. random. All you, a lot of times you're just reinforcing bad habits. Um, you know, so if you are, if you don't have every time you pull a trigger, have a purpose and have a plan, right? Why, why, it, especially in practice, you know, practice isn't going out and hitting a target. Practice is building a position. Are you stable? Are you fall? You know, I, I start with the first, gosh, I got a whole list of different check boxes I check off. When I start practicing for a match, it takes about three days for me to prep for a serious match. Three days of, and, and a lot of rounds uh, that I go through and I get the first box checked off. Yep. Is that right? Okay. Then I break position and then I do it the next. Okay. I got one and two checked. Did I make any mistakes? Nope. I did them both. Right. And then now I do that about 10 times and okay. Yes. I'm bringing the gun in medially. I'm looking over my scope and then am I looking at the target? Did I look? Yep. Okay. Now I'm I place my bag in line and then I drop down, you know, and then afterwards I ask myself, after I shoot that about five times, I'm like, okay, did I have wobble? Was I neutral in my body? Was I leaning a little right, leaning a little left? When I leaned right, why didn't I move my body, my ass right, right? Why didn't I move my feet? Why did I lean, right? If I lean, I made a mistake. So right. did I not oh, build yeah. the position right? Did I not put the bag in the right place? Right. And so I start breaking all that down after every one. And then if I go through and break each one of those down, by the end of like day two, and then I reinforce all those day three to make sure that all those boxes are being checked. Then come match day, then dude, I, I'm unconscious, right? I don't think about I don't think about building a position. I don't think about what's going on. I have all this time to watch the bullet fly through the air and the wind move, and and my mind goes all these other places. And I oh wow, there's a gust of wind, and I see it, right? And if you, if I don't have all those other boxes checked off, well, shit, I'm too busy trying to figure other shit out. Well, you've burned so those neuro sh- path, you've burned those neuro pathways into your head to where those things and those check boxes, like you said, you don't have to, you can't, uh, the human mind can only focus on, you can do multi, you can multitask, you can do multi, multi things at one time, but you can't focus and think of more than one thing at one time. That's, that's scientifically proven. So by doing those things and ingraining those things, you have then negated the need to give them conscious thought while, you know, on a stage on a clock. Well, and I'll give you and and, and that's OK. So and that's why, you know, Allison, I mean, uh, do you think she pulls the trigger better than anybody else in the country? Hell no. Right. She's dedicated. She puts the work in. She makes good decisions. She practices. She makes she does smart practice. Right. Yeah. She doesn't just go dry fire up oh, there. It is. You know, she has a plan. She I, I'm not sure, but I'm going to guess she probably writes a plan. I write a practice plan often 
And often it'll be, I'll go through my matchbook for a week after the match and I'll go through there. There's there, here's things I need to work on and I need to fix my problems. How can I fix them? Right. And break it down. And I really practice best alone or with one person that that's not a problem because when I go practice with 10 or 15 people there, uh, and that's a mistake I made this year. I mean, it, it, and it showed, right. I spent too much time going to, I went, I had to go to a big range to practice. I didn't have my little private place to practice. And so I'd go and I'd go on open range day and there'd be eight or nine people there. Well, I'd be busy helping somebody else and I'd be it's busy doing distractions. this. And, it's and, distractions. And, and I would go to start a stage and realize I didn't do something right. Then I'd go ahead and finish the stage. Whereas if I had started and I didn't build that position on correctly on practice day for me, stop, break, go back over. What did I need to change? All right. And I would not even fire the first round or as soon as I fired the first round, just stop, reload my magazine and reset and do it right. You know what I mean? Uh, and not just make the best out of it like you would in a match. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's not that's the time to do that. Is, yes. is at practice. That's the time to be able to do that. You can't do that in a match. So your your goal is to do it at practice. That way you don't have to at a match because you've done it right and it, it is just uh it, it just happens automatic subconsciously. Yes. Well and, and I do different things during practice. I mean, you know, uh that forces my mind to work in multiple directions. And one thing I do is I listen to podcasts. So that's why I listen to, you know, your jaw jack all the time and, <laughs> and other, um, because once I get all my boxes checked off and then I go to do my practice, I try and find two places for my mind to need to focus on at the same time. And I don't want to listen to something like music that I already know. Okay. I want to listen to something that requires me to focus in this direction, to understand it, and then shoot in this direction to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And what that forces me to do is to balance my subconscious with my conscious. Right. Because I'm focusing in two different. I, I in order to focus on something that I need to learn over here, it forces me when I shoot a target over here to be subconscious, because like you said, you can't do both. So I'm doing I'm doing this. I'm shooting this, but I'm listening to this. Right. And what that forces me is that unconscious state where then, all, you know, you know, if you, if you read Delaney Bash and shit, right, you know, I mean, dude, you got you got, you, you know, your subconscious, you got your conscious uh, and then you got your ego. Right. You know, for, for the most part uh, or, 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 you know, your personal self-image. Right. Self-image. Self uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so realistically. So by focusing on something I have to pay attention to, that's not something it might be some dry ass bullshit that I don't even want to understand, but I need to listen to it to comprehend it. Like like reading an instruction manual. Right. It's not yeah. something you need, but it's something you have to focus on. Well, that forces me to be unconscious when I shoot. So when I do my unconscious practice, I take them little galaxy earbuds that stop noise real well or Bluetooth earbuds. And I sit there and I focus on that. Uh conscious task of listening and i'm un now unconscious shooting which once i have all my fundamentals right then that teaches me my fundamentals and ingrains them because i'm not making the mistakes i get them all right then i teach myself to be unconscious right and, and or Makes my subconscious sense. to do all the yeah. work 
right? Yeah, that makes complete and then, sense. And, and that's, that's a pro tip I probably shouldn't, you know, go too far <laughs> with, but that's one of the things I teach in my class, right? Or, you know, some of my classes that that's, that's a, um, to be able to break those two separate windows up is great. So now all you need is a good self-image. You get all your habits right. You think positive. You do all that stuff. You have all your little check boxes checked off. Now you're teaching yourself to be unconscious. And now I'm listening in another direction. So come match day, I go to shoot a stage. Boom. I go up there. And when I'm in that state where you have that balance of all three, right? You know, you don't just because you're the best trigger puller doesn't mean you have the other two. I mean, um, you really need to have all, all those equal. And when then, then when you go up to a stage, all of a sudden you go completely subconscious. You don't think about a thing. You don't hear a part of the world. The whole world gets quiet. Everybody's been in that state. They just don't know how to get there a lot of times. Right. Right. The zone. Uh, you find that zone and that just everything, you know, gets quiet, clear the mechanism. Right. Uh, and I use a trigger before I go. Every time I have my little repetition, I run through my, my head before I go to a stage, I go through all those checklists and I'll tell you what, if I don't go through that initial checklist and that trigger, it's going to be a shit show stage, right? I mean, every time I've made a mistake, uh, that's a big, ugly one. It's always because I didn't go through that list where I tried to shoot faster than I shoot. I tried to do something that I don't do which then broke me from my routine and it's a total shit show. Right. I mean, it, yeah, uh, I, I was going to ask you two questions that you basically answered without me asking them. One was being what, what do you feel like you've done that has aided to your success um, in this, in this game? Because I mean, you've, you've won a shit ton and you've topped five, top three, a shit ton and you, you answered that with your the way you train and how much focus you put on your training. But also I was going to ask you was, you know, when the guy in front of you is, you know, timer goes off for him and you're on deck, what's going through Keith's mind? You know, and you basically you've got a checklist. You've got a, a thing that you that you go through that you've got that, you know, is squared away before it's your turn to shoot. And then you, you have, do you have a, a one thought that trigger that one thought that basically sends you to that place to where everything puts you in the zone? Uh, yeah, well, so my trigger isn't one thought like, uh, often you hear as you think of, uh, I don't know, uh, quiet crickets or whatever, you know, I don't have that trigger where I look at that blade of grass behind the, 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 whatever, um, what I do is I come up to the stage and, and, you know, when the RO asked me, shooter, do you understand the course of fire? I go through my head again after I've already rehearsed it. The shooter in front of me, I'm rehearsing that stage and or more than likely I'm watching through glass trace, right? I'm, I'm trying to figure out it, what factors do I need to deal with? I've already figured out how I'm going to shoot the stage or at least my first attempt at how I'm going to make these positions and so forth because I try and watch that two or three shooters ahead of time make sure that everything makes sense to me, that there's no odd deals and I don't ever think about that again. Then I'm trying to watch, is there any wind conditions or look for any wind or any any anything that's telling me that that's my next deal. Um, and then it comes down to when it's my turn to come up, uh, I ready my gear, I get ready and I'm looking at the targets. I'm physically finding those targets one by one and I've, I'm shooting it in my head. Uh, um, 
you know, and, and, I, and I always picture my reticle, even when if I'm holding a mill and a half, uh, I, I picture my reticle on that particular target on a certain way, right? I always picture a round target for the most part in my mind. That's one of my triggers. And I picture my crosshair two tenths left to center. You know what I mean? And, or that, that my dot on my reticle and I kind of picture that there in my mind, right? So, and then, yeah, and then I go through my mind and I physically look at each individual target because before I can build my first position, I don't need to see the barricade. I need to be looking at that target, yep. right? The barricade is just going to fall underneath me as I build that position and collapse down in line with acquiring that target because target acquisition is magic, dude. That's, that's where all the time is. Everybody wants to run the bolt fast. Are you kidding me? 90% of the time you can make up on a stage is target acquisition, right? I don't give a shit whether you run that bolt like fast as lightning or you run it slow as molasses. You ever watch Dave Preston? Like, uh, I mean, you, you, you could yawn why he's yeah, running that bolt. You just right? brought up who I was about to bring up is one of one of the people that are, I'd say, the fastest shooters out there as far as from the time the buzzer goes off until the last shot is fired on a partic- any particular stage is Dave Preston because of his ability to build a position and get that first round off it's 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 impeccable i mean dave is a fucking greek god when it comes to doing that and then his his um um economy and motion his his efficientness of his efficiency of moving the minimum amount of movement and that's why his 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 bitch is the is the PRS skill stage. He makes it his fucking bitch every time he gets on it. Some of the fastest times I've ever seen was Dave Preston. And like you said, he runs the bolt slow, boom, close, back, close. Because that's not where he's saving or making up his time. It's literally up one position, bolt one forward, step. boom, yep. one step, foot hits the other foot, boom. Target acquisition, it's in the reticle. Yes. And, and, and so you talk about running a bolt and, and that's another thing I try and push to people. I get, um, in, in the game, right. Okay. In the Marine Corps, if that gun's empty, you got to fix it, right? It's broke. Different story, right? Okay. The gun's broke, fix it. Right. Uh, in this game, when you run that bolt, like, you know, super, super fast and you're saving all this time. You've taken your point of aim away. You've broke. Realistically, you build that position. You should be on target and then just close and you're just kind of settling in. When you run that bolt like that, you got to rebuild a position around that, right? Well, you, you've got to reset bare minimum your mind. find your target. You got to find yeah, your target. I mean, again. it's there. There is no speed involved in running that bolt fast. I mean, smooth and and efficiently. Uh, you, there are guys that can run it fast and not take themselves away because they practice that a lot. Yeah, Phil um, being one of them. Yeah, Phil, right? Uh, well, I would say that uh, Ken Sanoski's one. Yeah, that is a freaking lightning on running that bolt. Uh, but he can pull the trigger and, and build. You know, it, it doesn't knock him off his game. Um, and personally, I can't. And uh, I would say as long as you're not disrupting your sight picture, it's totally fine. But if you're doing this with, your, you know, that, that reticle is bouncing back and forth when you're running that bolt, that's not really it. I mean, you watch Dave. He just he drops into position. He's on target, runs the bolt. And I'm guessing he's taking his breath as he runs the bolt. And 
all of a sudden his hand goes to the trigger. It's already stopped as he runs the bolt. Then he just kind of centers it up where he wants and squeezes through the trigger. And right? then his you know? after the shot after the shot's taken, his his transition to the next position is where he he's kind of sets himself apart from a lot. Well, first of all, Dave's like six foot fourteen. Right. And he's got them long ass damn legs. So he bodies every day to practice in yoga and shit. So, I mean, the dude's a fucking athlete. Like he lays down, gets up every morning, stretches, does yoga, Pilates. I don't know what the hell it is, but, you know, makes his ass a rubber band. Right. Yeah, I'm doing so I'm doing jujitsu like, now. So hopefully it, it, it helps me in that department instead of breaks me so up to where so I can't you lose your shoulder. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and your neck. Right. I'll and, tap. I'll tap before that happens. <laughs> I did martial arts for many, many, many years. And uh, I don't uh, I pay for it in a lot in a lot of places. I, I'm sure so, it, it'll do yeah. it. But OK, so let's let's get into a little bit of 2020. Um what uh, AG? All right, so AG Cup is is the big one because I mean it is. Me and you spoke what three days after AG Cup, something like that. We talked for like an hour or more on the phone. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, you you, I, I was really really rooting rooting for you at AG Cup going going into it. I was like, man, I I'm feeling good about Keith. Keith, I mean, you you've had a pretty good year this year. And you are the most, you're the most focused on like eye on the prize of, of anybody I know. And that, that you just kind of reiterated that when you talked about how it takes you three days to get ready where you feel good going into a match. But I, I know you, and I know you got at least a week of actual preparation, three days of hardcore you know, zoning in and focusing on the match and everything. So, you know, you've got me knowing that about you. I was like, man, Keith's going to be fucking dialed for, for the AG cup. So tell me a little bit about your experience this year, the AG cup. Well, this year, so this year I lost my place to practice in May. Uh, so from mid May, I lost a place to do my training. And the closest place I have to do that is a two and a half hour drive each way, two hour drive each way. So where I had a pretty legit regiment of minimum four days a week of training uh, after a match, I take a week off typically if I can. This year I had a schedule with COVID just totally screwed that up. I mean, it was uh, anybody who wants to go out and win matches. I really, yes, you can do it back-to-back weeks, right? But realistically, if you're not just so freaking gifted or lucky, it really takes, if you're going to put the focus in you need to, it's going to take you a week to recover after a match, right? You take two days of a match and that intense focus for 16 hours consecutively of paying attention to every little detail, and if you want to blow it out out of the park, I, maybe if I was younger, I could, but I don't, it takes me a minimum two, three days of just, I mean, dude, like I've been drugged behind a car, right? Mentally, I just, I can't compute anymore. I've got to make all that back up. I got, I got to make up that time. And then the practice the week before, right? You know, you take that week and a half, two weeks and, and, and I, I need time off. Well, this year I didn't have any time off. No, you were back to back. Everything canceled in the spring. You were shooting matches back to back to back. 
Yep. And then I purposely said, I'm not going to shoot anything for three weeks before the AG Cup. I'm just, I'm not going to do it. Uh, actually, four weeks, I think, which was a good thing. It's what I needed to do. But, and then I started my practice regimen, and I made a two and a half hour drive every day Ooh. to start doing that. Jesus. And uh, uh, my gun was on point. I was on point. I still wasn't practice where I should be. I, I wasn't. I wasn't able to just fall right into that unconscious because I didn't have a place where I could just go build that routine back in. And, 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 and that's my goal for focus. next year. Right. I told my wife and she told me, I'm like, we need to move. <laughs> and she's like, we're not moving to the kids. Right. <laughs> you come out here, baby. Come on to uh-huh. the south, baby. Uh, that's yeah. I said, we need to move because I need property and I need a place to shoot. And uh, she says, not till the kids are all graduated. So, uh, which makes pretty good sense, right? You know, we got grandparents up here and, you know, they're, you don't know how long they're going to be around. And, you know, she wants their kids, to, you know, the kids to have grandparents. And, and that makes sense because I get it, but I want to shoot, right? Uh, and now I don't have a place to practice. Well, she said, go lease a piece of land. So my goal between January 1st and February 1st is to have me a farm field within 25 minutes of my shop that I can shoot four to 600 yards, right? Ideally a 400 yard, a 600 yard T post and a 10 by 16 carport that I'll mount at the other end to leave my barricades up in and give the guy a couple grand a year and say, Hey, this is, this is my piece of land that I need, right? Just let me have this one fence row here and you plant the rest of your crop somewhere else. So my goal in the next month is to find that, piece of property for me to lease a section of land so I can practice for next year. Um, but so AG cup, man, I, I, I was pretty well tuned up. Uh, um, I, uh, I wasn't able to go subconscious right away real easy, but it was a big match and I felt pretty, pretty comfortable that I'd be able to, to shoot well. Um, and my gun was on point. I was on point. Uh, I made a total, ass mistake day one right off the bat first stage of the day um uh, i uh um uh, i bombed the stage i mean i just it was like oh okay well now we got that behind us and of course i don't think about the rest of the match and then i shot pretty you, good yeah, you can't you can't uh, think about it because it'll ruin the rest of your day and ruin the rest of your your coming you know, potential to come back from it Oh yeah, I, I write it in my book, and once I write it down in my matchbook, I never think about it till I drive home, right? Well, I'm the worst person in the world to win a match because when I drive home, I go through all my freaking problems after the match. You know, I'm not excited because I fucked up here and I screwed up here and I screwed up here, but I did this, 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 right? You know, so for two days, I'm not, I'm, I'm not that. Oh wow, great! No man, I should have did this right. You know, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, but so AG cup, man, I, I go to that first stage and, and I, and I bombed it. I don't remember what I did, but I didn't do it well. And it may not have been horrible, but it's, I'm like, Oh, that ain't good. Well, move on. And then I felt like I was shooting pretty good. Uh, and, uh, but the conditions were just horrible. Uh, yeah, so, you can see it from the video. I mean, it was especially, I mean, it was one day in particular was really bad condition. It, it well, it, both days were. Um, so, and I thought that would benefit me because typically I watch the bullet fly all the way to target and I make good decisions. And 
but we, I couldn't see Mirage. I couldn't, oh, I could see plenty of Mirage, but I couldn't see Trace. A lot of the targets were elevated up on a berm. Uh, I put a lot of time into watching the shooters in front of me shoot and not, I don't care what they shoot. I just want to watch what the bullet does when the conditions happen. Right. I don't sure. care if you tell me your wind call, I can give a shit about that. I really, uh, want to know about, okay, these leaves on this side of the range are moving and he missed right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> okay, What's that so, bullet doing in relation to the surroundings around it? hundred percent. And that's, that's what I focus on. Well, AG cup, you can't do that, which is great. Right. Um, uh, but a lot of the targets this year were elevated on top of a berm. So when you missed, the bullets missed behind. Uh, you couldn't see trace. Um, and it was an incredibly switchy wind and a lot of mirage. And um, so I've been down this road before. And I'm like, okay, well, typically if, if I've got a cluttered deal, I'm going to aim low in Georgia. You know, I mean, I know uh that you know if i've got shimmer issues where the you know atmospherics are screwed up i know that typically i can aim a little bit low but it ended up being that man if the clouds come over dude it was ting 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 as soon as you got up there and all of a sudden it bluebird sky and it pops and it goes just to a big night nightmare well when it, i hit first time eight tenths first second time eight tenths and i'm like i missed i'm like okay more wind Nope. Less wind. Nope. Aim low. Yep. There it is. Okay. Aim low back to where you were. Boom. It was mirage. It wasn't a wind change because you couldn't, you couldn't see it. And then all of a sudden, man, so there'd be four or five guys get like, you know, twos and fours and fives. And then all of a sudden, boom, one little cloud comes in, everybody's eight, nine, 10, 12, you know, I mean, just ting, 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 ting. And so when you take that quality of shooters, you take that many shooters that are just freaking studs, right? Yeah. And you put them in that scenario. And 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 just like in it, when we talked about BC a bullet later in flight time, the biggest factor is, is uh, I forget what the name of that, that, the law is, but basically, you know, the biggest variable tends to be the factor that, that uh, weighs the most, right? And, and it's considerably more than all the others. Uh, exponentially. So when you take all the shooters that are all pretty damn good shooters or competitors, and then all of a sudden you got really horrible atmospherics, damn near every one of them guys is going to shoot nines, tens, and twelves on a stage, right? Yeah. But then when you get atmospherics and they went nine, ten, twelve, two, two, four, one, five, nine, ten, twelve, right? And that just happened stage after stage after stage for the entire match. Um, and at the end of day one, uh, I made it to day two uh, by the skin of my teeth with my mistake uh, on the first day. And I'm like, well, I was only worried about getting into day two. After that, I felt like I could compete, you know. Well, anybody it's a, good it's a new day. day. Yeah, it's a new yeah. day, too. The way the AG Cup was, the format was, I mean, day day two is a new day, just like three, day three is a new day if you make it there. Yeah, yep. So we go to day two, and, uh, man, I'm tearing it up. I had two stages that uh, were the wrong two, right? They happened to be the 12-round stage. Everybody had, if you looked at the scoreboard, it was pretty awesome. It was, dude, you'd look down the list and it'd be like 12, 12, 12, 2, 4, 6, 12, 12, 4, 2, you know, all the way down. Then the next one, the same ones that had 12s would be 4, 2, 12, 12. And, and yeah. it just kind of, it, it, 
I'm not going to say the match was laid out well. The conditions just did not line up. It rained. Well, two that's days kind before. of the southeast. That's kind it of the is. that's the southeast, and that's where like I've I've mentioned it in in, the, in multiple episodes how where when you think when you think of matches out west, you think of long range, small targets, a lot of wind. That's the the typical style of a a, a west coast or, or actually out west Midwest match. Whereas you're basically dealing with, well, a lot of wind. Well, here we don't have a lot of wind. Um, and But down down in Georgia at Blakely, that range, there's almost always wind. But you've got issues when there's no wind of what we all kind of deal with, which is mirage. Our mirage down here, we're right here basically at fucking sea level. The ground is, is retaining so much moisture that all of that is going in front of your in front of your scope all the way between you and the target. The mirage will lie to you as far as what the wind is doing. Um, and, and, you know, you if, not, not to interrupt you, but you remember when you came uh, to Frontline in February and, and shot that match here, how we had snow on the ground, right? Yes. Yeah. You remember? Now, I wasn't I was not in your squad, but CL was the RO of your squad. Now, did you guys not uh, remember the KYL rack, which it, it wasn't a true KYL, but it was a KYL rack. KYL. The, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, what you did at that stage was you printed one on the big ass plate, which is the last target. You burned that one shot off to see where you were, and the, you, then you, you're, you're, and you did. I think you cleaned it after that. You dropped the one that you shot yeah. purposely at the big I was target. The second shooter, and I burned the first. I burned the first shot. Didn't even try at the target. Because yeah. I watched everybody else missing left, right, left, right. I'm like, it's, it's an atmospheric thing, right? And, and so do you aim high or low, right? I ranged the target two or three times. It was right, um, you know, and that, that damn thing hasn't moved. Of course, um, the, the strap was painted white, as I remember, not just the target. With, with, <laughs> snow, every, with snow everywhere. So, with snow on the ground. Right. But uh, no, that, that was – and so I looked at that, and I'm, I'm watching everybody, and I'm, I'm like, okay, well, so I, I shot the first one where I burned it. Pick the aim point. I knew before I went up there, I planned. First round, I told the RO, I'm like, hey, I'm not going to hit a target. I'm not going to hit the target with this first round. So don't call me for an AD. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, you know, it what, what it was also was you've got the sun. If you remember, the sun was back behind the targets. Yes. It's coming up above the trees. And with all that moisture from the snow, mind you, bluebird sky day after a, a day of snow, and with all that that snow and moisture on the ground, that mirage at what time was it? Like nine o'clock when I shot it, the sun was back there. I mean, half my squad got zeros or ones on that because, and it's a prone stage, but we kind of find out we couldn't see because the sun was coming up so that the burn behind the targets was shadowed. And you could not see where the bullet went to the burn. And almost all of us were low. Yep. And that is that weirdness in the atmospherics that you're talking about that. And there's no way to, to really account for that without shooting and seeing your miss. No, I mean, there's times that if you, if you see it enough, you can kind of predict it looking at the target, or if you're watching the shooters in front of you or the competitors in front of you, you can see the trend. Right. Yeah. And then you kind of pick it up there. And, and, and that's where not hanging out and, and, actually watching every bullet go down range that you can and paying attention to everything going on around you comes into play. And, and that's it. I watched the whole squad in front of me. I'm like, and I was the first shooter, I think in our, in our squad for that stage. And I'm like, 
dude, I think the high score was a two. And I'm like, oh, this is, this sucks. So I went through and I, I watched, I watched, I watched. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to stick the first one in the dirt. And I think, I think we were hitting two tenths low, right? As I remember. And so I shot the first one, trusted the bullet, right? You have an accurate rifle, you do all that work. You got to trust the bullet. And, and, and I dialed my power way back, which, you know, to minimize the magnification of the, of the uh, atmospheric uh, error. Um, and, and it does work, right? But when you have a lot of light coming in front of an optic too, so Pig River's another place you'll run into that a lot. Oh, it happened uh, to me at Pig River. It happened so to me again Pig, at Pig River. Yeah, when you Pig River and that sun comes up in front of you down there, you got that much light gathering in front of your optic, it bends. It bends, it distorts uh, inside the optic, not necessarily downrange like through Mirage, but you have all that light bouncing in there and, and it bends just like water or mirage or any shimmer or whatever you want to call it. It actually can bend that light inside that optic and make you shoot a tenth or two high, right? Or three tenths or half a mil or half whatever. Half a mil. Yeah. Pig River was half a mil. Uh, you know, and depending on how the optics laid out and how that light's coming in there. Well, now you can easily fix that. And I actually since the Pig River match uh, this year, and I'd seen it happen before. I knew it was going to happen. Uh, I knew to be careful about it, and I put two sunshades on and had a, had a big game plan, and, and and I was able to shoot pretty well there when that happened for me because I kind of predicted it. Uh, but I actually am in the process of taking one of my sunshades and machining it off and putting a shutter, right, that it will cut down the light to only be a half-inch or one-inch hole, right? So when I run into that condition, you're like, ah, oh, it makes it dark. Well, by minimizing the amount of light coming in front of that optic, then that error is now gone if it's based on bending, uh, you know, from from too much too much light. Well, that makes sense because what the well you would say, oh, it makes it dark. Well, that's what you want it to do because the whole problem that you're trying to fix is because of too much light coming in. So yeah. yes, absolutely, it is making it dark. That's exactly what I want it to do. So because that's what's causing the misses. Did, in the Pig River match, it was the one in June. Did you were you in Aaron Hips? Uh, were you in his squad? Fortunately, I was in the one in front of him. I didn't have to listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, well, he was the squad right behind me. Yeah, Hip had the same problem I did that day. So the, I started out. You remember the um, the top of the Connex box? Uh, it was a long range stage. It was like a targets out to, I believe a thousand on that one. Yes. And, and, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then like two stages over was the one in the bed of rocks. That was like the one that was out to like 1150 or whatever that longest target was. But so you had pretty close interval of long range stages. There was like yes. one, I think the pig was in between or something like that. Um, but I got like a nine. I, the first stage of the day, the first shooter of the day, I got a nine on the Connex box, right? Dope was dialed. Dope was good. Perfect. Squared them all up, whatever. Shot the next, whatever the next stage was. I don't remember what it was. But then the next stage was the long range stage on the ground. And I could not see my trace. I couldn't see my bullet. I zeroed the stage. And Bricks was behind me. He's got the eye of God, that great big, big ass double. Yeah. He had that thing. Zero double. Yeah. Whatever the fuck it is. You can see the moon, you know, you know, with it. But he said, dude, every one of your bullets, wind call was perfect. You were exactly half a mil high on every one of them all the way out. And I was like, oh shit, my gun sped up. 
I didn't know. I didn't even think about that. And then I talked to Aaron. Aaron had the same thing happen to him. He went back later that day after the match was over with and asked Josh, Josh, can I go shoot to see if my gun is doing what it's, I think it was doing today? So yeah, sure. Go ahead. Fucking shoot it. He went back up there, used the same dope as he used before, fucking cleaned it. Yes. Yeah. So it was just the light difference is what will fuck you. Yes. Uh, and, and well, that happened at the finale last year, not this year, at K and M. Uh, all Squad One, we shot the uh, stage, the last like stage eighteen twenty. There's KYL rack at a thousand yards, or TYL rack at a thousand yards, and uh, uh, I went up there and I think I shot a two, and I'm like, my gun's on point, right? Uh, I think. Pinch shot pretty good. Joe Walsh shot a low score there, which his stuff's always on. Oh, his, uh, he's notorious for shooting little tiny groups at distance. So, you right. know, his shit's and dialed. Every, every, and Jason Green, I think, had trouble. There. Anyway, there was a bunch of us that went through there, and it was like, boom, we're like twos and threes and fours because that sun had popped, Mirage had come in, and then the berm was enough behind it that you couldn't really get your elevation right. So we finish up, and... I think Preston really dropped a lot of targets there too, as I remember, um, which may have cost, cost him a bullet or cost him some, I don't know. Some, I, for, I forget the whole deal, but I mean, a lot of guys got, got hurt for points there that were on fire all day. And then all of a sudden a little bit of cloud rolls in the next squad go, comes in and everybody in, and uh, everybody shot nines, tens, 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 tens. And, you know, uh, that was probably a 308 production class, right? I mean, it was, that's, you know, and it was just like ding, 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 ding. And I'm looking at Viver Pinch, you know, and all these guys just, uh, Austin, you know, I mean, nobody, nobody could hit anything. Uh, And then all of a sudden, you know, Cloud comes in, everybody hits. And it really was an elevation thing. So then after the match, Joe and I, and uh, I think John Pinch, a few of us sat there like 10 minutes later, because we had one more stage. Clouds come in. We went right back, shot that stage, and we all just shot the small target every time, 10 shots, and hit it every time, right? Uh, but it was just the atmospherics. So predicting those is pretty tough. Nick Vitabo does some, has got some pretty good uh, uh, stuff out there on uh, – Well, he's the guy. Light transfer. I mean, yeah, he, he is, is the guy man. between lasers and – I mean, Nick, is, Nick is, is the authority on that subject. Maybe I need to – dig into his ear a little bit that that he is well what the thing is you know he is he's probably the smartest guy that i know of in in our game that understands that and then the best part about it is he can also put it to you where you can he can explain it he at can relay it. level so i can get it yeah right? he can relay you know, it to uh, anybody he is uh he, he just is a is a genius and a master at that um, and, uh, for, he, he was my brother's neighbor for years. So he lives, uh, about 45 minutes from me and I've been wanting to go check his new house out and, and hang out. So, um, but man, I love listening to anything he has to say. I want to listen to it. Yeah. Uh, he's a wealth he, of knowledge for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And when I struggled with that stuff, trying to understand light transfer and, you know, uh, what was happening error, right. Due to shimmer. Uh, he was kind of my go-to guy that when I, when I wanted to figure that stuff out and, and, and it's incredibly tough to predict without, 
you know, the high power lasers and stuff that's, that's the heat that he works on. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not really that predictable, uh, other than when you see that, you know, go from the mirage to that, just that the targets all distorted, guess what? You probably got a problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if you can't see that target clearly, um, there's back, back an error the between here and there. Yeah. yeah. Back off the mag for one. Yeah. And, and I, and I didn't realize how much that made a difference. Like the Thunder Valley match I shot earlier this year, uh, that I, that I won, we had some bad, uh, mirage there. Right. And that place is notorious for lifting bullets up and pushing them down and wind, but it, it's really notorious for bad atmospherics because it's big rolly Hills. Sun hits the hill causes not only an updraft, but causes a light, the light to come up and, and, and have that bad atmospheric mirage yeah. that really tends to to create a bubble to move that tar or to the appearance of moving that target due to shimmer. Um and or uh anyway, so uh every time I, I shot I think that entire match when I'm normally a high magnification shooter, I shot that down on like the button the highest I went to is maybe 18 power the entire yeah. match. Uh because I I I seen that as soon as I seen the, the mirage starting to happen, I just started dialing back. So I had less error, right? Uh, uh, the, uh, the error due to atmospherics was less. And, but every time I go to Georgia, it's, it's hit or miss for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so day two, day two, you, you go in and the gun is hammering and it's just that, that atmospheric crap. It's almost like, and there's no, there's no way to to prevent this shooter from shooting it while this shooter gets a good break. It's just the the way the cosmos aligned and you get in where you get in. Well, um, you know, and I watched, I mean, you know, so uh, I, I won't take anything away from the day three shooters. Uh, realistically, when I look at the day three shooters, if I went through my list of who the studs were that should be there, Pretty much that was the list short one or two. I would have had flip flopped into the day, day two mm -hmm. to day three. But I mean, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, some of those guys might've been seeing something that, uh, I wasn't seeing or whatever, you know, that, um, uh, you know, I, I, I know, that there's times when you're at a different level and I know I'm not at that level now. Cause I just haven't, haven't had that, that ability to practice and get in that extra zone. But, uh, as I watched the match and looked at it, I mean, uh, it was again, one of the best matches I shot all year. I mean, that and more rifles was just unbelievable. Right. Uh, they were both just great. Yeah. Great. More kicked match. my ass, dude. More kicked me square right in the dick. I like ass kicking. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I'll tell you what, I, that was a July match that was supposed to be a March match. And, uh, if anybody has never been in West Virginia in July, don't think that it's a cool place year round. It gets hotter than three fucking hells. <laughs> it um, was, that was, that was the hottest match I've ever shot it. It was, it was miserable for, for consecutive days and humidity and yeah, it sucked. It yeah. was like being in hell. In, in fact, wow. the Pig River match, the Pig River match, the month before that, I got dehydrated day after day one. Like day one that evening before day two, I was throwing up 
I was seeing, I had blurry vision, my, the, an unbelievable migraine. Um, and waking up that morning for day two at Pig River, I wasn't feeling much better. I was feeling a little bit. I didn't eat for like 30 some hours because I, I couldn't keep anything down. Um, I didn't start, and I drank Pedialyte that night, which I should have done fucking the night before day Three one. days before that, yeah. Really, yeah. And I was drinking beers instead. So that was yeah. one problem. But, um, I, uh, I didn't start feeling somewhat like myself until like stage three on day two, like, and, and then I started shooting a little bit better and, but at, the damage was done. Like I had fucking eaten so many dicks from day one and the first three stages of day two, but, um, yeah. that was bad. And then war, I knew going into that weekend, I knew it was going to be like the same. It was just as hot, if not hotter. And I'm pretty sure it might've been hotter, but. Dude, I had, I can count on one hand how many beers I had the entire week, like going into that day or day, day before the whole weekend, I was pounding. We recorded a podcast in the way to Virginia and I was drinking, instead of beers like normal, I was drinking, throwing back Gatorades and, and water and just trying to stay. I was like, I'm, that's not happening to me again. Yeah. Um, and I got hot. I got really hot, probably hotter than I should have. But it wasn't as bad as Pig River was. But, man, that is a test. That is a gut check test to shoot in that kind of heat and in those conditions with, I mean, you remember there wasn't shade anywhere. It was, oh, there's no. no, there's yeah. no fucking shade. It's hot as, you know, Satan's ball sack and you got no reprieve at all. I started three days, four days ahead of time doing Pedialytes. I had, I said, well, I actually use squinchers. They're a little better to get in your yeah. bloodstream a little better than the Pedialytes. They taste uh, better. And it tastes a lot sucks. better. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I started those four a day for the four days before. And then on the drive down there and so forth, I just kept hammer. I forced myself to, to hydrate, 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 and hydrate with electrolytes. And starting, I got out of bed day of the match. First thing I did was drink a Pedialyte right before 530 in the morning, whatever it was before I had my cup of coffee, right? You know, and then I did that. And before I shot the first stage, I drank another one and I pretty much drank one every stage with the, the electrolyte solutions in it. Right. Yeah. And then I didn't really eat anything. I I did some protein powder stuff. Uh, I've been real fortunate that, uh, Doug Koenig has helped me out quite a bit on how to keep that mental focus going into like the second day of a match or the end of a match when your blood, you know, you're, uh, you, you, uh, you haven't eaten and, or if you do eat, you get lazy and, and he's, he's done a lot to help me out with what to eat, uh, because he's, you know, he's competed his entire life at an extremely high level. He is the Um, only professional shooter in, in our game. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I, w- I was fortunate. He's done some help, you know, help me out with helping figure out what to eat. And I have specific foods my wife makes me before I leave for a match that I take that I eat during match day. And of course, I eat a steak, man. Number one, I eat a freaking steak. If you know me at a match, it's fucking ribeye on Friday night. It's ribeye on Saturday night. And we're probably going to stop and get a ribeye to go on the way home. Right. <laughs> steak, steak, steak is king at PRS, dude. Everybody wants. Let's go get a steak. Everybody wants steak. It's, it's right, crazy. right. But during the day and the rest of the time, I just eat a high protein solution. You know, high fat, high protein solution. Very 
just to keep my mind able to to maintain that focus and got to feed the brain right and and keep your blood yeah. sugars up where they need to be and so forth um and i never eat lunch man you know you go to altus they got the best freaking lunch in the world down there you know but i never get to eat it uh or even drew's like when he had the the meat wagon in a truck man i look at that feeling like uh well, I did, if it's I there after the match, I single, eat. yeah, I didn't eat a single thing off. And it was, the food looked amazing. I, I did not eat a single thing. First, I was too hot to eat. Even if I wanted to, I, I was eating orange slices. I was eating, you know, bananas, stuff like that. Uh, I literally, I drank, I think day one was hotter for me because I started on the, the, what course was it? The one out there more like where the, like the mountain range looking one. Um, I, I, I drank, I think I had a close to 18 bottles of water that day. I peed once. Right. right. I peed one time. That's a bad, bad sign when you drink that m- much water and you pee once. Well, and once you get behind the ball, like when you got sick, dude, it's two, three days to get your body to levels back up. Unless you go IV, there's really not a way for you to get you feeling good again for two days, right? You can drink a whole lot, but your body isn't going to get that absorbed and your cell structures aren't going to get all everything they need until. And so that's the thing. Anytime you stand up on a stage, right? If you're halfway through a day and you stand up and you feel a little lightheaded or whatever, or you get that little bit of headache, dude, you're already way too dehydrated. It's going to take you a day and a half to get better. First thing you need to be doing is busting that Pedialyte out and you better be hammering that the rest of the day. Because your blood your, your blood pressure drops instantly when you're dehydrated. Yeah. Um, so um, anyway, so that pro tip uh, banana bag of saline solution is the best thing for a fucking hangover. I don't care how much liquor you drink, if you can get a hold of a fucking a, a banana bag IV, dude, you are you you're like, hey, someone pour me a shot. Like it's, it's amazing. <laughs> My uh my my best friend and my sister and my brother in law, they're all either paramedics or nurses and I've been hooked up quite a few times. So I need I need to take one with me to a match yes. and just like mainline that shit in the hotel. Well let's back up to the AG Cup because I don't want to sound like some whiny little bitch that didn't end up winning. Uh but you know, <laughs> I, I watched <laughs> you know, I watched going into the last stage. I mean, I, I kinda picked Austin was one of my top three to pick to win it. So, uh, especially since he was just coming off of a win too, wasn't he? Well, no, that was for PRS. That was for the PRS finale. I'm talking, yeah, the, 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 the PRS finale, you know, that, that's a different beast, but the, uh, the AG cup, he was, I picked three. He was one of my three that I picked to win it, uh, because he's got the speed, he's got the accuracy, he's got the right attitude. And, and I just, I felt like, of the AG Cup shooters, he was he was one of the ones that I'm like, if he's on, he's gonna he, you know he, he should crush it and, and he did right. Yeah. Uh, but you know you know Ken Sanoski, dude man, he and Pinch were burning it down on day three. I mean they were crushing that fucking match, and then they go into like one or two stages back to back and get ones and twos again. Atmospherics, boom, right now. Austin, same thing. You know a couple times. I mean. Uh, you know, so I, I'm not saying that the the best shooters didn't win that match. No, the guys I expected to win the fucking match won the match. Uh, you know, and and, I, and the guys that made it through were, are where they should be, and so forth. 
Yeah, but Pinchy, I, think, I talked to Pinchy like literally maybe a couple days after the after the AG Cup, and he he told me what killed him was the very same thing that you said. It's that light refraction. It was. He says, dude, I couldn't see shit, dude, and I was way. He says, I don't know. He said, I, I didn't know what to do. He said, yeah. I mean, you're not getting any feedback whatsoever. He says, I, I mean, what do you do from there? You know, right? You guess left, right, up, down, and maybe the maybe the guys that, that won it or did better may, were better guessers. I don't really think they seen more. You know, I don't really think there was uh, anything more magic than that. I just think uh, and a, 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 a who, who situation got the least of, amount of errors. Yeah, and a, a, a concept of right place, right time, right? The right stage at the right time, which no one can predict that. To, you know. to an extent, yeah. I mean, I, you know, the best is always is, is likely always going to win. But I'm going to say that that where you were at when you shot a stage sure made a or what, what the light was when you when you shot made a difference, right? Uh, and and there wasn't any way to. At least I didn't see any way, and I and I'm pretty good at seeing stuff. And I didn't see any way to to predict a lot a lot of the atmospherics that were changing and so forth. And and uh, like I say, you know, I'm sure the guys that, that shot better uh, probably made a few better decisions, right? And and that averaged out. It probably wasn't all down to you know who got lucky when. But I'm gonna tell you one thing: you look at the scores, and everybody got screwed end up being who got screwed the least, whether they made good decisions to not get screwed or whether, you know, that, that tended to be uh, a pretty, a pretty big factor there. Sure. And the deal is, is because you got that many shooters. We go back to that deal. Same with BC, the biggest. Uh, so, so the quality of shooters was pretty, for the most part, equal, right? At the end yeah, of a was, typical they were, match, they were they're going to be within eight points of each other, right? I mean, they're, yeah. they all can shoot. They all know how to build positions. They're all not having to relearn how to pull a trigger. They're all, you know, they're they're all their guns are shooting quarter. I mean, you know, they're they're nobody there had had any problems, right? They might have questioned their gear a few times trying to figure out what the frick was going on, right. but none of them had problems. Um, and so the biggest factor was conditions, right? That was the biggest X factor, which weighed the most on its outcome. And um, God, I wish I could think of the name of that theory. You find find somebody smarter than me. I, I I quote it all the time, but basically, you know, it's exponentially. You know, it, when they do that error for uh, the shot placement, you know, the the you know how many are going to hit the target, and yeah, and you look probability, at probability, hit probability, probability a hit. It all comes down to the biggest factor weighs the most, right? The, the and that is it in that match. I think it was a lot to do with conditions. And to take nothing from the skills, because, man, I'm certain Austin was thinking things and seeing things and doing things a little bit better than everybody else, which made his little bit of error a little bit less. And it on down the list. Austin is a fucking killer. He's a I mean, fucking stud. He, he is. Right. I, mean, I mean, no one's and, taking and, that any way away from him. Yeah. I mean, he's a yeah. fucking killer. Yeah. And and he was my pick. So, yeah. yeah. I didn't make any money. Yeah. <laughs> So, anyway, so what, that what subject, is, what is your, what is your, uh, obviously you're a subscriber to, to Lanny Basham, um, as am I, what is your goal right now for 2021? So, uh, you know, I fished for years before I learned how to win. Okay. 
I wanted a lot of things, but I didn't realize it's hard to learn how to be a winner, right? And I never knew about Laney Bastion when I learned how to win bass fishing. Some old man taught me how to win bass fishing. Uh, he's probably my best friend, you know, in the, uh, in the world. He's about 86 years old and, you know, uh, but uh, he taught me how to win. And I didn't realize that's something you have to learn how to do, right? Um, and all the things that he taught me essentially fall in the lines with the theories because he was a winner, right? He set the biggest bat record in a bass tournament back in the 70s. On It still hold, held up until uh, it holds for all New York, but uh, on Thousand Islands or whatever. But uh, it held for, for years until the Alabama rig come around. I mean, it, it just yeah. it, it, biggest one day weight kind of deal. But he was a winner. And he taught me to be a winner. And that's hard to that's hard to understand. I'm like, oh, fuck, I can fish. I can do this. I can do whatever. But I didn't realize there was a difference. Well, Lanny Bashin kind of does a pretty good job of of pointing out those things. And after the fact, after listening to his stuff, I'm like, you know what? All those little pieces were the little pieces he taught me. He just he had learned them somewhere else or some other way or through experience. or He's just freaking gifted. So now I totally lost where we were going with that. 2021 goals 2021 um my goal for 2021 first i'm gonna find a place to practice because 2020 for me was not a success okay i shot pretty well i missed a lot of great opportunities that i should not have missed i was sick the first half of the year i had a hernia operation that turned into a staph infection and i was oh dude it, it it was uh i was four months of just five months of just nastiness in my stomach uh, but uh i got past all that about the time the rona really got rolling good and yeah. then i lost my place to shoot a month later uh so my goal for next year is uh to find a place to practice uh and a place that i can practice and do training i want to be able to do training you know where i can do one-on-one or just small group trainings there uh, without having to do a whole lot of travel. Uh, so that's, that's, I know I need that to achieve the success I want to try and achieve. Right. So, uh, first for me is to get that online this year. I'm going to do some cool stuff. Uh, I want to, uh, grow my business just a little bit. I'm going to, uh, uh I'm going to shoot the NRL hunter series, right? Nice. That's kind of a big, uh, it's got a lot of buzz uh, going on right now. It does. And, and, and I want to do it for a few reasons. I want to build my skill set, right? So the PRS has kind of, it is fantastic. I love it. It's my game. It's the, it's my, it's my, it's my jam, man. Uh, but, uh, I, uh, you know, spent a lifetime perfecting violence. Right. And I love it. Right. And, uh, and, and, or prepare preparation. Right. Sure. So, um, you know, the, the one thing we don't do much anymore is range stuff. We don't, we don't take those other factors into play. Um, and, and that's a skill set I don't want to lose, right? That under time, that actual scenario where you go up and, okay, now time starts, run your ass up the hill, find the targets, right? Range the targets. Now under the clock, you know, do your data, shoot the rifle, manage recoil, make corrections, make good decisions, no rules, right? So the way I the way I understand that is here's your box, right? Your box is a 14 by 20 area staked out with tape. 
find the targets. You can see them from somewhere in this box. Target one should be right here with a big placard next to it. The other three are out here somewhere. It's go find these targets from wherever you can find them in here, range them from the best way you can, and then find a way to engage them, right? And you get two points for a first round hit, one point for a second, and it's a dead target, I think, way I understand things after after you take two attempts at it. So that's a skill set that that I want to build more, right? And I'm not going to do it with my match rifle. So I'm not going to go out well, there. You, you can't. My, you can't do it the way the rules. Well, are. you a six. I'll tell you what. If I take my rifle, I take all the weights out of it, 16 pound rig, and just change my optic to a lighter version of the same optic. Put a put a uh, AMG. a uh, AMG on there, dude. I'm going to be able to shoot that gun just as good. Right. Is the power uh, I mean, factor, is, uh, the caliber power factor, does your, does the dasher fall into that? No six millimeter will make it with 115 grain bullet. So they, uh, they have a, a maximum uh, velocity, like 33, 75, maybe something along that line. Uh, so the power factor is 380,000. So you take your velocity times your bullet weight and it has to equal over 380,000. So a six creed at 33, whatever, with 115s puts you less than that, right? Uh, 369,000 or whatever. So six five gets you there. You take a, a, a 140 grain bullet at uh, 2740, I think, 2720, 2740, uh, puts you at that number, right? Which where else does the 6547 like to shoot the 2780, right? Okay, 2760. Uh, you know, but, or if you're going to go into a 130 category, uh, then, you, pick up you the know, speed. basically you got to be 2,900 feet a second to achieve that. Uh, you can do that with a 6547, 131 blackjack, you know, kind of, you need to run that sucker at 2,900 feet a second to get there. Uh, 135s, you got to run like 2820, right? So you have to be over that. And the goal is, is they're limiting the weight on these rifles. So the heavy class is 16 pounds and under. That's not your magazine, right? But that is anything you plan to attach to that rifle. So gamer plate, that's part of your weight if you're going to put that on the rifle. Sling, yeah. some bitch has to be part of your rifle to be part of that. Um, bipod is part of that 16-pound weight. Can't have another bipod in your backpack that's a long, cool one like I have, the MDT Skypod, freaking magic you know four foot yeah. sucker that i can build some great position uh no if i'm going to use it it's got to be whatever i have attached to my rifle now i can attach two of them to my rifle at weigh in and i could use only one right but then you're giving it up somewhere else when right. you figure that power factor so 16 pounds is the is the heavy hunter uh they got a factory class where pretty much you can go buy a b c d e f g rifle off the shelf um and if it meets under 12 pounds with your anything you plan to attach to it, you can even shoot factory ammo out of it and not have to meet power factor uh, as nice. long as it's uh, they have a few stipulations there. Yeah, but, uh, you can you know shoot factory rifles. You can go buy a Christensen Arms whatever and shoot it in that match. And as long as you're under 12 pounds, you're good to go. And then I'm going to shoot the light hunter class because. Uh, you know, I've been, I hunted my whole life. I spent a lot of time out West, did some, did some guiding back in the day. You know, I mean, I, I've got a lot of experience down that road, but, 
my experience in, in the rifle world is, is, is really more competition rifles. I mean, I know how to make sure. great hunting rifles, but I don't know how to make you, I don't, I didn't have the experience to say, I'm going to build you a nine and a half pound hunting rifle. I'm like, well, I can build one and be nine, 10, 11 pounds. And if you want to make it lighter, we can adjust it. Well, now I'm down to weighing every break on the market, weighing every action on the market. I'm weighing every set of rings. I'm oh, weighing yeah. every optic and I've got this stuff cataloged over here and I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm going to shoot the 12 pound class, right? And I'm going to do it with a sky pod because those things are really, very, really very versatile so now. Yeah, oh, yeah. For, for, for being able to shoot unusual settings. And even on my hunting rifle, I use the sky pod, right? Because dude, I, when have you gone hunting that you can use a Harris six to nine, right? You're shooting off a tree limb. You're shooting off a rock, off a backpack, a set of shooting sticks, off a tripod, Hair six nine. I mean, unless you're groundhog hunting and you were planning on shooting in that grassy field, you know, the bean field after they mowed it, right? Is that really hunting though? I mean, it's just planning. No, No. you know. So uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped about this. I'm really excited about it. It sounds awesome. I wish it was over here. Well, it it kind of. I mean, Tennessee. You got one in Tennessee in April. So. so, and you only got to shoot one to make the finale, which blew my mind. I thought I'd have to shoot a bunch and how I was going to do that. So I'm going to go to Nebraska, which I don't know why in the hell I'm going to go to Nebraska in February, but I'm going to go to Nebraska Boom. in February and, and, and shoot this. I'm going to shoot the light hunter division because number one, my skill set, right? Uh, I know I can go shoot pretty competitive without having to, to learn new skills with, just the 16 pound class, lighten my gun up a little bit, shoot my beautiful ACC chassis that I freaking love and all the, all the, you know, all, all the, all the stuff that I'm comfortable with, I can do. Now, uh, I'm going to shoot a really lightweight rifle, 12 pounds with the bipod so that, and optic and everything else. And, uh, I'm shooting at a decent power factor, right? You know, so I'm going to shoot a six, five forty seven. And, uh, I was going to go, I thought about going to black six, uh, uh, 2547. Almost did the quarter. I've got, I've got a 25, Uh, I got a couple 25 Creedmoor barrels shooting those black jacks. Those that's a pretty impressive bullet, man. I looked at the components and I think for the gamer, that's probably the way to go. But I just, I didn't have any experience down that route and, and my time was coming down and I'm like, uh, I'll go six, five, 47. I know it's going to hit. Right. I, I, I can trust it. Right. So, um, uh, anyway, so now I've got all these components. My I just cleaned the shop up, but I probably had 11 bipods over there. I've had nine guys in the shop in the last week where we're weighing chassis, bipods, weights. We're taking chassis apart, cutting screws off. I mean, we're trying to figure out how to get these damn <laughs> things down. And uh, I'm really looking forward to shooting a 12-pound rifle and spotting my own misses and, rain, and, and, and getting back to that ranging the target, right, and, and doing those other skill sets that – I'm losing a little bit as a competitive shooter in the PRS world, right? Not that that's bad. I think that the game needs to move that direction, but I want to not lose those skills. So when I do go hunting or whatever I choose to do in my life, that I can go and then boom, be Johnny on the spot. Yes. Efficiently grabbing my uh, range finder. Yes. I have a range on that. Or if I can't range it because of some other deal, I'm back to milling a little bit, you know, uh, I throw a game changer on a tripod or I'm, you know, a bag on a tree or strap a sling around the tree and set up, you know, whatever I need to do 
to accomplish that task and get back to to thinking more and and not be told I'm going to shoot from here and then you go shoot off this log then you're going to go shoot off this window and you're going to shoot off of this rock it's like solve the problem buddy game the yeah. shit out of it figure it out here's what you got you got a 12 pound rifle with your bipod nothing else and anything you got in your backpack and it starts all on your ass going up the hill backpack on rifle slung run into the stage tripod and binoculars the only thing you can have in your hand i think the tripod even has to be tied to your your kit right so get up there now deploy this shit right you watch philip leo stuff man he's deploying that tripod well how many of us is really practicing that i practice it but uh only because i realized i needed to right at the end of one of my after action reports i'm like huh took me 40 seconds to fire the first shot when i had to deploy a tripod better better tighten that shit up right oh yeah Uh, you know so uh basically i'm kind of excited about that so i'm going to shoot that series this year uh, I'm going to shoot the, the PRS. My goal is to go after that. And, um, I have personal goals. I want to meet with that, which, um, uh, if, if I do my part, I, I would hope I can achieve. Um, uh, and, uh, um, uh, I want to travel and shoot some new matches. I haven't shot, you know, uh, well, that's, and, that's, that's a tall order because you've shot about all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I have an issue, right? I want to, uh, I want to shoot with, uh, some new shooters, right? I really enjoy shooting with the, the new, the, the, um, new guys. And, and I'm, I'm really, really enjoying that. I want to do uh, a little more training classes this year, uh, try and find time in my schedule for that. Uh, well, you're coming down here. Yes. You're, yeah, you're I am. down here with me and, uh, uh, for everybody else. Um, i talked to, who was it, back in November, I guess uh, I talked to you and, and I'm, I'm me and, uh, CL and Jeff and a couple of our other shooting buddies. Um, they know who they are. We're going to, we're, we're going to get Keith to come down and we're going to do a, a class with Keith. This a strict competition course. And I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, I, I think that is something that, uh, is, is, is going to help me and all of us just exponentially. And it, it's more so like, I mean, we're not going to get into all the details of what your course is going to entail, but I know it's going to be, it's going to help us across any type of, any type of scenario we can be in. It's, you know, it's going to help us a, a base understanding of the best way and then also just shooting that positional stuff and and things to look for how to how to spot your trace in a you know pretty precarious position as much as humanly possible and then it'll make the easier to make the the easier positions that much easier in seeing that trace and because that that's a skill that you have to learn um you know it's it's just it's not something that you just y'all you go out there and shoot and you see it no you've got to know how to look for it where to look for it how to mitigate that recoil as little as it may be in these little BRs and dashers. It's, it's a lot though. I mean, you know, so, you know, my practice rifle doesn't have a muzzle break, right? Mm-hmm. And my goal is to watch that bullet fly into that target. You know, that is part of my checklist. Am I seeing that bullet fly into the target? No. Why not? Well, probably cause I'm not medial behind a gun. Right. Or, um, uh, you know, I mean, there, there, uh, I can find the problem. It's somewhere in there. If I'm not seeing it, 
it, it's because I'm making a mistake in my fundamentals and I go back back down through them. My position wasn't neutral enough, whatever. Uh, but uh, the, that's kind of the other thing about this super lightweight rifle I'm, I, I want to shoot. I'm like, you know, I need to get back to that. Cause shooting a dasher, man, I get lazy, right? Without this practice. It's, it's without, easy. It's easy to get lazy. It, it really is. is. Yeah, yeah. And sloppy. And it's, uh, because you can get away with it, right? You can yeah. not have that great a position and recover in time to see enough. Uh, but then, then you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll just watch and see where I miss and make an adjustment. No, I need to be watching that bullet fly through the air and seeing, you know, making those corrections long. I see that bend in the air before it gets there, then make those corrections. And that's the, uh, that's stuff that I, I, I really slacked a little bit this year. You know, I, uh, um, I'd like to blame it on the virus. I, I just had too many matches. I'm going to shoot big matches, but I'm going to have two weeks off before each one. That's my goal. I might do one back to back, but for the most part, I'm going to try and be, uh, a week to get ready for a match, uh, week to two weeks to get ready. Ideally I'd have two weeks to get ready for a match, a week off after a match. Right. Yeah. That's kind of my, now I can go shoot a club match in that and not care. I take my two, two, three, I load that shit on a Dylan and I go to the match and I don't go to a club match to shoot. Well, I go to a club match to help other shooters relax and have a good time. That's my fun time. You know, right. big matches. I want two weeks off ahead of time, one week off or four or five days off. You know, I want the rest of a week off after where I'm barely picking up a rifle. I might go check data. You know, I'll go check my after action, make sure my zero was right, make sure my speed was right. Then I put the rifle away and then, you know, I'll double check my load. Maybe one day that week, just go to the range and just shoot some thousand yard stuff, make sure it's close. And then, and then, I, but I don't, I don't plan on doing any practice or shooting, let my mind recover. Sure. And then, then start my regimen of making sure my gear's right, then get me right and then go shoot the match. And, uh, I plan on doing that. I want to do a little more training. Uh, I did, uh, a fair amount of it last year. Um, uh, and, uh, this year I, I want to do more. Um, uh, I enjoy that. Um, uh, it's, uh, it, it's rewarding to me like this year at the finale. And, you know, I ran into guys that I'd had in my training class that, you know, all year they're sending me messages. Hey, man, I got my first top whatever. And then I got my first this and and I'm getting these messages on and on. And, and they're like, you know, I have a lot more time now uh, because I'm finding targets right away when I build yeah. a position and I'm seeing yeah. stuff. Well, that That's a and, that's like the first building block, the tools. you know. Yeah, that's that's the first building block is getting getting into that position and find that target in as quick a manner as you can, because that's going to set the tone for how much, how you're going to shoot based off of time management and uh, the ability not to have to feel rushed yes. and, and, and break good shots. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's the key. And I, look, I, I, I promise you, I'm way more excited about you coming down than you are. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I cannot wait. We're going to have a good time. Um, we're going to be, it's going to be a small class. I think there's like five or six of us, um, small class. And, uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. Um, just to touch on that, uh, NRL, um, hunter class thing, you know, when I got, I got started in this game, 
it was strictly I only care about making myself a better shooter to hunt better. I go to Kentucky to hunt, and I want to be able to, if that deer comes out at 550, 600 yards, I want to be like cakewalk and hit, a, a you know, right right in the pump house of a, 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 a true trophy. And 100%. that's what it got me started. I didn't know that the bug was going to bite me to where I care as much about shooting as I do hunting, but that's the way it, way it worked out, you know. Um, that's that's the beauty of what we're doing. It's so much fun. It's addictive, and you go in. You may come out of it with a different goal and notion and mindset before than you did going into the journey of the, of of this. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I never thought I would miss. Uh, remember, I said that I changed my job and everything else because I didn't want to miss the rut. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I mean. I, I forgot what podcast I I said it. I did the same thing. November 3rd, I was not this year. Last year, I shot a match. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? I should be in the fucking woods. This is bullshit. (laughs) Right. Well, last year, I fell out of a tree stand right before the finale, which was not a good thing. So, and and I was, it was a week before the rut that I fell out of the tree stand, which really sucked because I was putting it in and getting things squared away. But uh, this is the first year in all my time that I had not hunted the entire week of the first week of November. Oh, man. Since I was a little kid. And why didn't I do that? Because I was shooting matches. Yeah. Uh, November so, 2nd, I shot, a, I shot a pretty nice buck right out that window you see behind me. <laughs> I said November 2nd <laughs> in my underwear. <laughs> first thing more if I went to work. <laughs> so, but, uh, so well, Keith, I'm hoping uh, to build a lot more hunting rifles this year. That's kind of what I want to get into a little more of because I'm really digging this. Uh, like I called Josh, I've got some different weight breaks that he's making for me and yeah, a couple yeah. other, a couple They're other companies. Breaks. Yeah. They're really good. And, breaks. uh, 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 APA is making me a, a couple breaks to try out. You know, I'm, I'm going through just, I really want to build that, that hunting side of my business a little more. Uh, I, I don't, I want to be a one-man shop. I have no desire to ever be more than a one-man shop, right? Right. Don't mind having a little old man help me clean up some bed work, you know, bedding work after I do it and do the trim outs or whatever. But, you know, I, I'm i retired. I want to shoot, and I want to do a few barrels. I want to get up in the morning, spin up a couple of barrels, get a couple of rifles ready to go. Noon o'clock, one o'clock, I want to have my ass in the truck, driving to the range, go do some practice, or go take the kids to a ball game or go do something, you know, go, go, uh, you know, do, do something else. And then, uh, that, that's my goal for this year. So I kind of want to build a, a few more hunting rifles, um, uh, and, uh, be more experienced in that hunting world, just a little bit more. Uh, yeah. well, it, that, that whole sector of gunsmithing, uh, just, uh, we talk about competition all the time, but just hunting, man, it has, it has taken off so I mean, and you gotta give credit where it's due. A lot of that is due to the gunworks guys, the long range pursuit. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's where that's where I really kind of started cutting my teeth into like this I told you hunting is what my, was in mind for me, that long range shot in Kentucky, if it ever lended it to me. And, you know, seeing those guys, I'm like, Oh my God, they're hitting they're whacking elk at, you know, eleven hundred yards. This is crazy. What is this stuff? This is long range hunting. Well, 
I mean, it's it that kind of caught on, not just with me. A lot of people wanted to have extend their effective range and and their lethality to where they feel comfortable to put a well placed, educated uh, shot on a on a trophy animal ethically. And you know, a distance there is no set distance at what is ethical, and what's not, other than what your capability is. Not just your capability, but your rifle's capability. Well, yeah, and, and 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 so, you know, 300 yards is a really long shot for a, a guy. Most. That's in a, it's 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 an insane shot that shouldn't be taken by probably 95 percent of the hunters in this world or more, closer to 98, right? I agree. But you take that to some of these PRS guys. Are you? I mean, it. They'll you know, pray for that shot. They would love right. to have a 300-yard shot. Right, right. And it's like in hunting, that's kind of – the long-range hunting is kind of how I got going this route, right, is I started shooting stuff farther and farther away. I started enjoying it. Uh, of course, I didn't have the optics we have now. Um, but, you know, I mean, now, night hunting, right? I shot a pig at 830 yards at night in the head. Nice. I, you know, <laughs> nice thing about a night, there wasn't a lot of wind, Right. But, right. uh, you know, Simrad's a pretty nice thing because you can still dial up quite a bit. You know, once well, you, you dope that sucker out, you're in pretty good shape. But, uh, you know, and their head's about, you know, three yeah, foot, huge. two foot in diameter. So you got you got some you got some space. But, uh, you know, you talk about ethical. If, if someone told you the 800 yard shot at night is, is realistic. I No. Well, not if you know the people we shoot with. Right. Right. And what and the equipment that we have, um, you know, so that was that was kind of cool. I don't plan on shooting another one, you know, at that distance unless it happens to be the same scenario or yeah. he's just, you know, a lot of things happen in two and a half seconds of flight time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, believe me, is as much. I mean, I, I've said in the podcast, I killed one at five, a, a buck, a 10 pointer at 504, and then one that was, I didn't even range finder. It was, I just guessing about 375, and I put it right where I wanted it. But I would rather have a 75 yard shot. I mean, I would rather oh, yeah. have that 75 yard shot. It's not that, like, oh, I want to see how far I can shoot an animal. No. No, I want a 75 yard chip shot. But I also want that 350, 375, 425. I want that to feel as equal as a chip shot to me. That way, if that opportunity presents itself, I'm not like second guessing, like, oh man, should I shoot this deer? No, I want to be like, all right, cool, he's that far, money, and then and, and take your shot. Yeah, in the last probably 25 years, because I was a bow hunter, right? I mean, 18 yards, 20 yards, right? You know. I can't say that I've ever pulled the trigger or released an arrow or anything on any deer or any animal that I wasn't as close to 100% sure is that it was going to be a success. Uh, short, maybe a groundhog here or there, you know, some. It gives a shit. Uh, you know, yeah, some, you know, a couple, couple chipmunks, even though you're not allowed to shoot them, you know. But, you know, I mean, there, there's a couple things along that line, but. Never on a deer, never on, you know, even a wild boar, right? Which I would give a that damn. I, I, would I ever spray and pray on them. Fuck it. Right. Um, but, you know, that I wasn't confident that that bullet was going to do what it was going to do. Now, a few times it didn't do what I wanted it to do. Uh, but more, but for the most part, it, you know, I was 100% confident when I pulled the trigger that good things were going to happen. So, 
And I think that's how ethics has to be. So if you have the skills, you have the ability, you have the practice, um, you know, it's like uh, all the people that, that, you know, CCW, gosh, when I, when I, when I did my CCW classes, you know, and I taught that stuff, um, I basically, if, if you're going to carry a gun only when you think you need to carry a gun, you probably shouldn't carry a gun because yeah, you can exactly. avoid that situation every time you need to carry a gun every day or don't carry a gun at all I because, agree. you know, and if you carry it every day, you need to shoot the damn thing and you don't need to shoot 20 other guns kind of like it. Oh, I'm going to shoot my revolver today and tomorrow I'm going to shoot my 1911 and then I'm going to carry my Glock tomorrow. No, whatever your platform is that you plan to survive with, that you got attached to your body, that ought to be the platform that you're shooting or a similar platform all the time. Yeah, so or at bare minimum the most. You, you can better shoot engage the other in safety and take yeah. it off every time, right? If yeah. you're shooting a Glock, great. Have your match gun, your practice gun, all those be Glocks or a or an M&P that's damn close to it, right? You know, that all has the same safety features, whatever. Do you need a safety? No. There's no reason for a safety. Right. Not Fundamentals, blue. right? You know, guys talk about light triggers. Light triggers do not in any way, shape, or form, unless you're wearing gloves, cause ADs. What causes ADs? Poor fundamentals. Or, 100%. Impro or improperly tuned triggers with slam fires and all that shit. But as long as yeah. it's operating yeah. properly, that light trigger, you shouldn't have your finger on it. If, if you pull if, that trigger every day like you're supposed to and you do your reps every week and you do what Allison Zane does every day, it doesn't matter what that trigger said. It wouldn't matter if it's a half an ounce, right? It doesn't matter because, you know, you would be able to preload it every time. You'd be able to pull through it every time. All those are the same. You have the same uh, fundamentals built in. And if your finger isn't on it and you have good fundamentals, you're not going to have a problem. Not to say that an accident can't happen, right? You can't catch it on, on a the floor of a bag. Yeah. But you know what? If you're on target when you close your bolt, guess what? If it's on target when the bolt closes and you have a slam fire, the bullet's going to hit the target unless there's a lot of wind. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, Keith, so. we are two and a half hours into the recording. We are three hours and nine minutes of our conversation in total. Um, we didn't I, even I've, talk I've been, about anything. I know, dude. That's, it just flew by, dude. But look, that just means that I've got to get you back on and we'll, we're going to do it since you got a little bit of time and shooting. I ain't going to be too worried about you dodging me to do the second one. So you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to be mine here pretty soon since you got some time. Dude, I'm not doing anything for the, I, I retired. I sold my business. I'm doing nothing but spinning up a few barrels every day and shooting every day of my life. I'm, I'm living the dream. Living, and, the, uh, you just took it out of my mouth. Living I, the dream, son. I am living the dream. I'm driving that little MDT van all around the country. I love and that. And I'm going to shoot as many matches as I can get away with. And uh, I'm going to hang out with the family when I'm not. And I'm going to come home and spin up a few pipes, you know, in between. And uh, that's pretty much going to be the rest of my life till I can't shoot anymore. And when that I'm done, awesome. you know. When I'm too old and too fat and whatever to shoot anymore, uh, then maybe I can spin up a few more pipes and you know. Well, enjoy well that. you're you're my hero. I want I, I want to live that life, man. You're my spirit animal. Right. Right. So my spirit next, animal. The, the next time I get you on, which I want it to be real soon, I, there's so many things I want me and you to talk about. Ice rifles, obviously. We'll talk about ice rifles. I want to talk about. Uh, 
um, load development. You do you do a out of the box type style load development, and I want to talk about that. Uh, also, your theories and everybody against everybody else's theories on barrel break in. It's uh, including yours. <laughs> including mine, because look, I just shoot the shit. I just yeah. look. I had uh, my buddy's uh, brother. He's also a friend of mine. Uh, he's a hunter. He's not a real big gun guy. He he's a hey man. I just got a new rifle. I bring it to your house. I mean, I've got 550 yards to shoot in my house. But um, he was like, I want to shoot and break it in. I said, he said, I need to bring in the cleaning stuff. I was like, we're not going to be doing. This was a factory rifle too, but we're not going to be doing the break in that you're probably thinking. But I got everything we need to, to take care of that. So I ran a wet patch through it before it was ever shot other than the test fire from the factory. And just to make sure the bore was clear, everything's clear. And we just, you know, started shooting. I said, Hey, look, in about another box or two of ammo, just run another wet patch to it or bring it to me. I'll do it. And we'll be, we'll be set as a little six, five pre more. Um, but, uh, yeah, your, your theory, Hey, look, it makes sense. I listened to you with Kirk, and it make, made sense about that first. And we're going to get into it. I want I want a number of different things. Your just ideas on on the Dasher in particular, because you're I I kind of hold you to the standard of you're like the the Dasher king. So you know everything about that cartridge inside out, backwards, forwards, everything. So I, I, that's going to be a whole another two and a half hours of content that we're going to cover the next time you're on for sure. You only learn that from making a lot of mistakes, right? <laughs> that's that's, that's got, with everything. You got to learn from your mistakes. Yeah, that's with but, everything, uh, though. Um, but uh, I, I've really enjoyed it, man. Is there anything else you just want to get out? No, uh, I mean, that's just the beauty of this game is you got 10 different ways to do something and not one of them is right. You know, 10 different ways to do load development, and they all work pretty good. There's 10 different ways to chamber a rifle, and you know what? There's a lot of damn good shooting rifles out there. And they all 10 do different ways to do they, they all do it a little bit differently, right? Uh, you know, you got to do what's right for you. I mean, I, so I, I'd look forward to coming back on. We'll talk about that stuff and you can tell me how wrong I am and I'll tell you how I, I, well you, I might you'll not never, be I might be. You'll <laughs> never hear those words come out of my mouth, Keith Baker. Oh, I heard your podcast right before you called me today. I listened to your one with the bad mic stuff. You're like, I'll be damned if I ever do anything but shoot 50 rounds to that son of a bitch and start cleaning it. <laughs> <laughs> normally it's 100. How that went, I'm not real no, sure. <laughs> normally, normally it's about 100 rounds I typically do. Yeah. But um, <laughs> And also another thing is it, well, I want to get into is the mystique of barrel cleaning just throughout the, longe- the, the life of a barrel. I mean, that yeah. you got so many people now that are doing shit that is fucking – well, they, oh, there's two, there's two different sides of the spectrum. People who who say, oh, well, let the gun tell you what it did. Well, no, by that time it's too fucking late. Um, especially in the game we're in, on, in a, you don't want it to happen uh, going into day two when you're in the lead of a match. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yep. And you then and maximum the, predictability. Right. Exactly. And then you got the other side of the spectrum where people are doing so much that they are literally cutting life off their barrel, ruining barrels. Some of the shit they're putting down barrels is just fucking Chasing so corrosive. Speed, they're unstabilizing the barrel. They're just, yes, yeah, all that. And you know, I don't know that there's one right way. Uh, but the cool thing about this, we got so many people share information in this game, right? It's not yeah. like secret squirrel shit, right? right? So there's so many good, smart people that all share techniques on smithing, how to clean your gun, how to make your load work. 
And then there's a whole lot on on you know the internet that don't know what the fuck they're talking about. That like most of them on Facebook too. Yeah, most of them are on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, right. But you know it, it's really cool that that amount of information that can that's openly shared amongst really dedicated individuals. Uh, the outcome and, and the processes of that is is pretty great. I mean, in, in the last two years, all that stuff's evolved like ten times over, right? You know, it was where you cleaned every 500 rounds, you do this, you do that. And it that the technology is moving so fast, our target's moving year to year, month to month, you know. And what was right two years ago, which may be where a lot of people still are stuck, is already moved to what, what we're doing now. And there's probably already the next step ahead of that and two steps yep. ahead of that, that that hasn't come back to catch up to us yet, right? You know, oh, yeah, so that's absolutely. the beauty of this. That's that's the addiction. That's why we're doing it, and that's why we can keep talking about it. That's right. So, Podcasts and 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 forums and stuff like that. It like you said, it the it's not a mystique. It's not as mystique anymore. Like it may used to be. Think about like the ability to hit a target at a thousand yards. I mean, that used to be something that a lot of people was thought was completely unattainable until right. you get the right person to say, all right, look, do this, hold here. Pull the trigger. Well, how? Okay, you got to hit. Well, how did you do that? Well, this is all the stuff you didn't know going into before that shot. This rifle, this load. This is what I've got. This is the BC. This is you know, look at wind as accounted for a five mile an hour full value. All that stuff. That that used to be the mystique. Now right. it's it's so now you know that you think of the old guy. You remember the movie Shooter, right? Yeah. Where Mark, oh, yeah. Mark Wahlberg goes sees the old guy in Tennessee. Like that's not the way it is anymore it used to be but it's yeah. not like that anymore yeah so, and, and and can a dasher go a mile and shoot and, and win a mile you did yeah, it. it can right is it the best choice probably not but Definitely can it not. be done is it is yes. it hard it's not hard right you know i took my kid when he was nine years old eight years old and i think he first round hit the mile right of course i gave him the wind call but you know i mean it's not rocket science anymore i mean i mean well unless it kind of is but it's, yeah, it's it is easily attained rocket science it's easily explained we have these little boxes for our phones and we have these kestrels and we have you know uh great bullets and great rifles and great barrels and you know we have dude it's uh it's freaking awesome so it's yeah i'd love to talk about all that stuff call we're, me anytime yeah we're and going I, to I'm, do, I'm sitting thing. around doing nothing. So. Awesome, dude. Well, cool. Just stay on for a second. I'm going to end the recording here. Guys, thanks again. This is another good one. Um, I told you I was going to get you a good one with him. Um, it, it Look, I love having Keith on. I can't wait to have him on again. And uh, we'll, he may be the next guest. It might be somebody else. I'm not sure. But uh, we're going we're gonna to talk at you then. Appreciate it, guys.